You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Turn the machine on, Phil. It's, it's on, Steve. Okay. Machine's on. I'd like to start right here. Because uh, this is interesting to me. No, I, I'm sure no one else is interested in this, but Chester just was packing a little dip. Not really. It was a tobacco substitute. No. Oh, that's actual tobacco. Yeah, it's boiled. To, it's a Swedish snooze. Oh, so you're like back on the... Anyways, you pulled one out and put it into a little storage unit on the lid. Mm-hmm. And Spencer was asking if you ever get those back out and do a reach you. Well, if you're ever in a real pinch, you might grab one. That's a good pun. Yeah. So have you, but have you personally pulled them back out and recycled? Probably. <laughs> you don't know? Who should I ask? <laughs> I'm sure I have. Okay. Yeah. I just feel like you'd know if you did that or not. <laughs> Yeah. You think it's probable that you've done that? Yeah, in a pinch. Yeah, pull. I, I definitely have. No pun. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Do you, do you swallow your snus spit? No. Never. Nah, gives you heartburn. Hmm. Me heartburn. Um, I just came from the gym. You know, what's starting to like perplex me is uh, the how do they decide what countries to name exercises off of? Because it's always like. Turkish get up. Oh yeah, but no, because there's these, there's like this there's this like cl- there's this collection of these like women have like this uh, little chore list. They come in, they exercise together, and I don't know who does it, but someone comes in and on a whiteboard writes out like a little chore list for them. And on there is Bulgarian something like sandbags. Oh yeah, it's always like 
Turk, uh, Turkey, Bulgaria. Romania. Yeah, Romanian. Like you could do like a Belarusian push-up, I'm sure. But they never... <laughs> why is... like? Why those countries? Does the U.S. have anything? Like no. an but if someone told you like do like a French get up, you'd be like, ah, I'd better go home and get my wife. Do I mean like, you know? I think we. Have why it's like we have this idea of like Eastern, like this part, of like Eastern Europe, being like very good at exercise. Yeah, a lot of testosterone over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a Bulgarian squat or whatever. It's like, oh, that's how they do it in Bulgaria. Yeah. This is the spe- this is a special episode because this this episode commemorates our season ten launch. Part A, season ten is a part A and part B. Five episodes are out now, and then five episodes coming right up. But the five episodes are out now, and what we like to do is a little tradition. Traditions, you should play that, Phil, from <laughs> Fiddle, Fiddle on the Roof. Tradition, tradition. Did we play it about 13 times during the Christmas episode two years ago? Yeah. (laughs) Traditions. It's a tradition to do episode trivia. Because after we launch new episodes, we always get get flooded with um, a lot of questions. So rather than just taking them in as they come, we've actually invited questions. But it was on that day of like national unity when, when social media went away for a day. That's when people were supposed to put their questions in, right? It was actually a couple of days before. On the day when America got a break from social media? Uh, it was a couple of days. That's kind of nice. Oh, why did you yeah. say something about how that was an issue? I'm only going by what you told me. Yeah, well, because I started reading them, but there were 936 questions. So I was going to continue on the day that things shut down. That's oh. why. Yeah. Do we get any questions? At least 936. Well, my goodness, you got that dip in your ear? <laughs> I'm teasing you, Chester. It's hard to track everything that's going on. Uh, I was thinking of something else. <laughs> Don't stop to you again. Uh, so we're gonna answer a bunch of free like some facts, FAQs, FAQs about season ten. Joined by Chester, already but sort of been introduced. Corinne's here. Phil, I like that T-shirt, Phil. Yeah, thanks. Did you buy that? No, not at all. <laughs> no. It is a meat eater fueled by nature shirt, folks. Yeah, he's got yeah. a meat eater fueled by nature shirt. I, I love the the designs we've got coming out on these T-shirts over the last few months have been killer. They've been great. You know what? I don't know that, who's doing that work, but... That hurts, because I've had nothing to do with those. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you can give a little sometimes. I've, I've handed over the reins on that, because I realize that I have very uh, personal tastes <laughs> that don't necessarily reflect America in general. Rick Hutton from uh, FHF. Yep. I'm here again. Thanks for having me. Seth. Yep. In an old man checkered shirt. What well, used to be an old man it's shirt, like but... It's like a new, new man, old man. Because it's a fleece. Because it's a fleece. Oh, it's weird. That it's... The, it's weird that Patagonia's doing that. It's like a Bozeman uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a shame. <laughs> yeah, it's a dress up like you used to hunt a long time ago. Yeah, it's like. Isn't it funny when like non hunting, when non hunting companies decided to do a nod toward that? They always go way back. They're like. They go to an old <laughs> looking camo. Oh, you or know they what? go to like an old checkered thing. You know what? Uh, I, I was in the store the other day and just chat my ass. Um, 
I there's a there's this flannel. It's like old school flannel that I got like hand me down from several people. I think I got it from my dad eventually, but he got it from someone else. Um, and Rick has it now because I shrunk it in the washer. But um, oh, I love that thing. That same flannel. <laughs> yeah. You shrunk it down to Rick's size. Well, <laughs> yeah, he shrunk the sleeves. The, ar- the sleeve, the arms. <laughs> so they yeah. fit. They fit my arms now. But so. I saw that same. It's literally the same flannel made. I don't want to say the company, but I saw it in a store the other day for for hundred dollars. Made you feel like you shouldn't have given it to Rick. No, I just. I, I feel like I got a good deal. I, I just feel like what, what, at what point? It, like, why is why is that something like that worth a hundred dollars? Definitely not worth a hundred dollars. Like, yeah, and it's like it's, I, I just, really, I really struggle with anything retro, man. It's it's really cool. I like <laughs> yeah, it. I would. I mean, yeah. It's just I can see the jealousy in Seth's eyes when I wear it once in a while because he's like, "Damn." Yeah, I, I used to wear it all the time, fit. and then it's shrunk. And but, yeah, they're like harkening back to a simpler time. Yeah, let's get back to those prices, too. (laughs) (laughs) You want to hark it back to a simpler time. Oh, Clay, what's up? Hey, Steve. Yeah, man, I'm here. Clay's joining remotely. Getting all kinds of bears, all kinds of deers and stuff all the time. Uh, We'll get back to you. Oh, Spencer, how you doing, Spencer? Good. You didn't call on me and Clay's shirts. Okay. Do you know what that is? Wired to hunt shirt. It's a very nice shirt you can buy in our store. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And then can you can you buy a meatball shirt you like you? Cannot. Yeah? No. And that's your that's your that's that's our company's kickball team. That's right. Chester plays, Phil plays. I think that's the only which which he uses the best. Well, I was just gonna say that shirt's so exclusive. I was on the team and I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> so good luck. I don't have one either. How'd you wind up with the only guy with a meatball shirt? Uh the, we had like uh like twenty of them came in, but then the roster got expanded to like twenty five. What kind of fur hat is that meatball wearing? Mm, raccoon. Hmm. Who made that? Who who designed that shirt? Same dude making all of our meat eater shirts. Oh. Hunter, I think. Do you think maybe you should sell those? You know, we had folks asking in YouTube comments uh, where they could get one of these. Yeah. So. Oh, speaking of t shirts, uh, right now at our store at themeateater dot com, you can go get our. Uh, uh, this is a commemorative shirt. This is a truly commemorative shirt. Decade-long run of the Meat Eater show, Meat Eater TV show. So we have a custom, uh, our very own Hunter Spencer. One of those guys that, no, what the hell, I always mix that up. No, you're Spencer. He's Hunter Spencer. Correct. (laughs) And you're Spencer, comma, Hunter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We got to get him on the show sometime. We should, man. He's the best in the biz. Oh, He's great. Yeah, I don't know what the, what the hell you call him, artist, world's greatest artist. Except for like, sits alongside Seth's, <laughs> sits alongside <laughs> Seth's fiance. Yeah, which is a word I don't that. like to use. Sits alongside Seth's fiance as the world's greatest artist. Not only is he like wildly talented, but he gets it. Oh. Like he gets the brand. Gets it. Yeah. Gets it. Well, he's at a point where not only does he get it, but he makes it. Mm-hmm. Leads it. Because I'm like, yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> uh, he made us a Season 10 logo. Custom Season 10 logo. We'll never make it again. We might make an 11, but I doubt it. Maybe. Also, you can get our new Fox in a Box t-shirt. Now, this was inspired by Episode 288, Visser and Bones. And there's been a lot of build-up to it. It has to do with a long-time feud we've been having with the German... 
hunting dog community. <laughs> the, yeah, the very lawyered up German hunting dog community where I have it on good authority that they that certain members of the German hunting dog community are into these arcane seeming practices of making their dogs duke it out with various critters to show who's tough. And and we've gotten a lot of pushback and blowback from people being like, no, but uh, we stuck to our guns and, and, and covered in one episode, we covered um, a hunting dog test, which is called Fox in a Box, where your dog dukes it out with a fox in a box. So you can get an official fox in a box t-shirt. I sent one to Ronnie. I don't even think he knows about it. <laughs> Ronnie Bame. God bless him. Sits at the center of this controversy in a way that I don't want to get into. Another controversy is not a controversy that a little bit annoyed me last night. When you're listening, this is just to clarify something. When you're listening to the show, you'll hear ads that we read, okay? Like, like I'll read an ad. When we do those, we always, you know, we were able to approve our ads. But there's other ads that get inserted into the show um, that are read by other people. And, and that, through things I would take like five hours to explain... We don't have a lot. You, we we approve categories of ads, but don't have a lot of influence within those categories, unless it's like in a very reactive sense. I was listening, like I discovered this on uh, what's 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 last what's the episode that just came out? Oh, with uh, Jordan Bud. Yeah, what was it called? Something about the rattlesnake bite. Hold on, I think Rattle, it's, 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 called, snake it's bite. called snake bite. Snake bite. Hell of a title. Called snake bite. Snake bite episode. I'm listening in the mid-roll. There's a thing. There's a ad that's not objectionable. There's an ad about the importance of practicing good firearm safety in the home in regards to your kids. And if you have young kids in your house, um, you need to keep your guns safe. You need to keep them locked up. Keep a, a safe household for young kids. Uh, but this particular ad that was on there, I had it pulled right away was brought by Brady. And that's like a, a, I don't think they describe themselves this way, but a decidedly anti-gun group that pushes for various gun bans. And uh, like I said, the messaging is right. Like, keep a gun safe home, but I'd rather hear it from the NSSF. Um, and I do some work for the NSSF on behalf of their child safe program, but I didn't. I don't want, and you, you won't be hearing from those fellers again, though again, if you got kids in the house, man, you have to keep a tight program on how you store your guns. The uh, auction house of oddities is kicking ass. Oh, I was on there yesterday. I'm impressed. Dude, tearing into a new one. It's, it is, yeah. I don't want to name names, but a naysayer, a naysayer came to me. Here Phil's going to love this. Here he goes. <laughs> Phil's going to love this. <laughs> I think we need a jingle for this. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should have a jingle for when I'm right about something. <laughs> And other, it's, it's, pe- and it's other just people are wrong. Steve's airing of grievances. It's just a Festivus <laughs> thing from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, now, there should be a jingle. Like, yeah, like uh, you know, like a like a bell goes off, uh, whatever the hell. When I wind up being right, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. So one an, of the uh, uh, an uh, angel auction- gets their wings. Yeah. yeah so it's like it's like uh, what the hell is that movie? I told that whole story, right? It's a how, wonderful life. Yeah, how it yeah. bankrupt the production company and mm-hmm. was that, it was a critical and, you know, failure. Box office uh, hit. What am I saying? The opposite of a hit. Sucked at the box office. Uh, 
auction house kicking ass. One of the naysayers came to me yesterday. Well, he didn't like prompt the conversation, but we were in conversation about something else in which he acknowledged having been a naysayer. And I knew there were internal naysayers, but no one would identify them. But he self-identified as a naysayer and, and admitted to being wrong. Very similar when I went on to that big lazy boy back there in the back. <laughs> I still haven't admitted it, though. So, <laughs> Wanted that big lazy boy back in the corner there. Auction house kicking ass. Uh, it's we're, we're, like when people are listening to this right here now, where are we still at? We're still in week. We're still in phase. Yeah. Week one. There'll be like five days left on mm-hmm. these items. Oh, okay. Here's the deal. The, the skunk essence that we had, you can just enter to win the skunk essence. And if you go on the auction house, the auction house execution, we're still working some kinks out. You wouldn't know that that skunk essence was extracted by none other than me and Chester and Seth. With a hypodermic needle I bought at Murdoch's. I got in trouble that day. Remember oh, that? yeah. I've seen Chester fight with his wife east and west <laughs> of town on I-90 <laughs> <laughs> about his proclivity for, like, messing around out in the woods and waters. <laughs> yeah, no, we, it's, we, it's he tries to stay. Fault. He stays very ready. He's like, well, you know, this is why I'm, I live here and this is my lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yes. <laughs> but it's it, communication, I folks. Know I, if you're be, married, I know I was supposed to be home a couple of days ago. <laughs> <laughs> communication. I need to get better at it sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've, that like good stretch of I ninety corridor. I've li- I've sat and listened to Chester <laughs> explain his way out of. <laughs> What's that have to do with the skunk essence? Because we were we were coming back yeah. from getting the skunk essence. With a with a cattle needle. Mm. The 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 day's activities took longer than what Chet expected. Yeah, he told so his wife, especially getting that skunk oil out of there. Yeah, because so. you don't want to drive. You want to get the skunks all taken care of where you're at. You mm-hmm. don't want to take. You don't want to drive them home and take care of them at home. You're already getting enough trouble bringing them home anyway. So there's like some passion in this skunk essence. Oh yeah, when you if you take a skunk and you. I learned this from, uh, I learned how to extract it from uh, the, probably the best, I feel the best fur handling person on YouTube, Coon Creek Outdoors. Yeah, that guy's great. Stu. Yeah, uh, Stu Miller. Stu Miller. Stu Miller, Coon Creek Outdoors. One, like, very good explanation of fur handling. Anyways, he, he, he shows how to do it. But you can, yeah, you just take them and syringe it out, uh, fill the jar. So, you don't need it. Like people keep being like, "Oh, I don't have any money. How can I participate?" You can go sign up to win the the two ounce bottle of skunks stink. Did you hear about the Friday night controversy in our auction house? No. Friday night, uh, there was a bid on Giannis's first pheasant tail feather for thirty thousand dollars. Oh my god! Oh no, that's the, cool. The person meant to bid three hundred dollars. Oh. Oh, but that tail that that's ridiculous because the tail is very is way higher than I ever would have thought. But it's, I didn't know it'd go for thirty. Can we can we get that guy? Uh, can we get him no, no, roped no, no. into that? You're, you're missing here. He he didn't mean to bid. 30, I know, but 000. can we just zap oh. his card anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling uh, it would go to the next highest bidder, which would be like five hundred dollars at that point. Currently, it's sitting at eight hundred. So how did the guy that accidentally put in thirty grand 
how did he get his situation rectified? I texted our IT guy and I said, can this possibly be right? And he said, not a chance. And so he knocked it back down to what he assumed was the correct bid of 300 and then bidding has proceeded from there. Well, how do you know that he didn't mean it? No one called him? Be- because naturally, because you have to go up in like $10 increments, it was at 290 And then the guy meant to go to like 300 but instead he made it 30000 Huh. More feels on him or on us. I think Damn. we may have left some money on the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clay, that, that dirty dealer, Clay, he would have he locked it in, man. Uh, so, yeah, the auction house is doing great. The first round, I don't know where we're going to land. We're going to land good. We're going to land good in the first round. Um, and we got a lot more rounds coming up. And then the auction house is inspiring more things. So, Doug Duran, we, we've been talking about having Doug Duran submit a bottle of Buckman juice. I was thinking he'd submit a whole mason jar of Buckman juice. But what he is going to, he still is promising to deliver on that. But what is going to be on the auction house is you get to spend, you get to have a four-hour tour of the Duran family farm in Casanova, Wisconsin, to talk conservation, conservation land management, how to facilitate access and, on your property in a way that sort of, jibes with with farm objectives how to run a profitable farm and still prioritize conservation work you got to pay your own travel but you spend four hours driving around with doug i could spend four years driving around with doug that's actually one of my favorite things to do is drive around with doug (laughs) listening to him talk about his farm who pays the gas doug's gonna pay the gas okay or i'll pay doug for the gas and if you want you can go home with a jar of buckman juice you could even watch Doug <laughs> going out on a limb. If you so desire, you can watch Doug emit. You can watch Doug emit Buckman juice. It's like a drug test. A guy wrote in, yeah, you'd be like, you'll know. A guy wrote in that it should be called Darren urine. Darren urine. And then, you know, remember how dirt's chew spit is also very attractive to deer? You know this? I don't think so. Yeah. Dirt's chew spit. Very attractive deer. wonder what would happen if you mixed the two. Well, that's what this guy's thinking. He says you got to combine durin urine and dirt squirt. How has that been tested? <laughs> dirt squirt and, and yeah, durin let's, urine. Let's workshop that <laughs> name. That's it. Into a slurry. <laughs> well, he suggests two said it'd be, box. it be combined into a slurry. A deer attractant slurry. How do, how do they know it attracts deer? Dirt, dirt squirt. Because if he spits it out of a tree, deer come up and smell it. More than when other people chew spit out of a tree. Like if you spat off the north side of a tree and he spat off the south side, deer are going to go to the south side. If Doug puts some Buckman juice on the tree, they're probably going to start there. (laughs) It's true, man. I've seen it. On On the subject of skunk essence, um, a lot of people have been writing in about I didn't know it was such a thing to do skunk oil uh, pranks. He put skunk essence on a paper plate and slid the plate under the driver's seat of his buddy's car. Hot, humid Michigan September day. The guy brought it to have it professionally detailed, trying to figure out what was going on. Couldn't get rid of it. They couldn't sell the car. And in the end, it was scrapped. Ooh, ruined the car. Is it really that bad? You would not believe 
Because people have told me that like antelope glands smell. I mean, I know nah, skunk versus listen, antelope, but I'm like that. It smells it ain't great. Even the I just same. when you get close to it, it's you like can't breathe. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like I, it could be used as like mace. Because like smelling it you, in like, the air breathe. is, I think it's fine. No, when you get it up in there, okay. it's a different right. experience. It even smells way. It's like a different smell when it's that close when you're yeah. up in it. Like, it doesn't smell like it smells far okay. off when okay. you're. Okay. Real close to it. Uh, this other guy wrote in about something interesting. You know, I remember being in high school. Uh, this is kind of date date my ass for sure because I graduated high school in 1992. But I remember being in high school and they made a rule that you couldn't bring guns to school anymore. And I remember going down to the principal and being like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> because we have our guns at school. And be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, if you're, like, hunting or whatever, that's fine. And so we'd, like, park in the high school parking lot with with guns and socks because you had to have – there's a case law, but a gun and a sock in the window and no problem. And this guy's talking about – this is in the Morley-Stanwood area south of Big Rapids, Michigan. And he said that they – when his school tried to get rid of guns – um. Or so I'm, I'm messing this up. They ch- they started bringing in a dog to sniff students' vehicles for drugs. But kids that had shotgun shells and spent brass and stuff in their cars would get a pass because the dog, whatever dog they had, would smell that stuff too. So then he said all the kids that did have weed started to also have guns so they could get a pass on their car. I don't know if that's true or not. He says, that's one way to get kids into hunting. <laughs> I don't know. Do you buy that, Phil? I, I, I don't know why. He, that's such a specific thing. I don't know why he'd lie about it. It's all, it also just seems completely backwards to me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem right. Yeah. Hey, Steve, I, when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school, a junior in high school, my dad bought me a 44 Magnum Super Red Hawk stainless steel Ruger with a nine-inch barrel pistol with a two power scope on it <laughs> and i like the specificity and and, <laughs> and i ca- i carried it to school every day and with, with, for mr mr Mo- just kept it in the truck oh, i mean just yeah. you know and uh mr Mosier, i can i can say his name because yeah mr Mosier, he was the principal at the school and he heard about it, and he came to me and said, "Hey Clay, I heard you got a new gun." And I said, "Yeah, it's in the truck." And he said, "Let's go see it." And he literally walked to the parking lot with me to look over the gun, like not to get me in trouble, yeah, because he thought it was cool. And then we just put it back in the truck, and he was like, "Man, that's a great gun." <laughs> End of story. <laughs> Times have changed. Okay, uh, one more high school story about dipping. This guy was saying that uh, when he was in high school, a bunch of students would spend half day at vocational school. And he describes these ones as the Hicks and Hillbillies and I. Like, he doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you got your Hicks, you got your Hillbillies, and then there was me from his perspective. And they'd load up on a bus and they had a 30-minute uh, ride down to Voke. They couldn't bring empty bottles to spit in because the bus driver would know what was going on. But he said it was an old bus and there was a lot of rips, so they would just spit into the rips of the bus seats. 
After a while, the bus started to smell like rotten chews, so they sung up a sting operation. He said the bus driver, just inexplicably in the middle of the ride, stops the bus and runs back to catch everybody. Everybody tried to attempt to spit out their chew, but a lot of them got busted. All involved were suspended, made to clean the bus from top to bottom, and had to buy new seat covers and install those seat covers. On top of that, his parents grounded him for a month. Moving on. (laughs) A major correction. A major correction. We covered very heavily these boys in Michigan that were trapping beavers and they were getting harassed. They were getting harassed. They're trapping beavers in an area where there's an HOA. And they do all their homework and they realize that, by God, we have legal access, legal right to catch the beavers. And they go and make some sets. And someone comes out and writes, what they write? No more or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Someone comes out and like throws a rock in their like springs their trap with a rock, like drops a rock on their 330 conibear and springs it. And they wrote no more on the ice. So then these guys set up a trail cam. And on the trail cam, they get a little group of HOA people standing around staring at their beaver traps. And they're thinking, aha, the culprits caught them red handed. Then we had them call in the show. And when they called into the show, they were talking about, we know who did it. We got them on camera. Like, it's them against the HOA. There were, like, circles on the images to figure out who was who. Oh, yeah. They were being, like, Joe Detective. Yeah. Well, they had the the goodness to write in and explain they now have a major update. (laughs) when When they put the trail cam up, and got a bunch of people staring at their traps. Guess who was staring at their traps? It was the president of the HOA with a nuisance trapper showing them where the beavers were so that the nuisance trapper could come kill the beavers. What the trail cam did not pick up is the nuisance trapper being like, well, it looks like someone's already doing it for free. No need for me to get involved. Very different. (laughs) Oh, man. This would be like if Joyce, the dock owner, was actually (laughs) trying to lure in fish. (laughs) (laughs) To improve fishing. So did they ever catch the person who wrote no more? They do. It was a lone operator. Not associated with the HOA. Huh. That story really starts to make its own gravy, don't it? Yeah, it does. Made it twice. They made two batches of gravy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one more thing before we get into our questions. Corinne, tell everybody about your big-time antelope hunt. Oh, okay. So I participated with a colleague at Meat Eater, uh, Samantha Bates, and uh, our friend Rue Mapp, who has been on this here podcast, the founder and CEO of Outdoor Afro. And uh, this is the first year that the Wyoming One-Shot Antelope Contest uh, hosted women participants and guides. So we participated in Lander, Wyoming. It's my first antelope hunt. And it was very, I think I've calmed down from it, but for a solid, you know, week or so after the hunt, I was pretty uh, buzzed. There there are some interesting rules. You have, uh, I mean, it's a timed 
a timed hunt where you have you go out into the field with a a competitor and their guide and you kind of hunt in the same general area and uh, one person one hunter gets the first hour um, hopefully gets an antelope within that first hour if they don't they get the third hour and you take over for the second hour and the point is for each hunter within a three-person team to get an antelope in one shot with no man-made rests. Yeah, if God didn't put it there, yep, then you can't you rest can't your gun on it. it. Yeah, so not like a fence post or anything. Nope, nope. not a fence hmm. post. Yeah, meant you, to like, yeah, kind of like an older definition of good marksmanship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a good. Not way like to a put contemporary it. definition of good marksmanship, but yeah. like the old like shooting over your knee kind of stuff. Yep. Yep, you know. Making it count with one shot. Right. You can use a... No bipods. Right. No bipods, no backpacks, Your no knee is posts. arguably man-made, but you can use your knee. You can use your knee. You can lie prone. <laughs> you can uh, rest your rifle on sagebrush, a rock, part of a tree, um, although... You can jiggle a rock around. Yeah. You, uh, can you? I shouldn't say that. I'm not... Actually, no. I don't... That's a, that's a good question. I don't know if you can. I think it's like you're just supposed to put your rifle down on whatever's there. You can't carry a big ass rock. You can't build, you know, build something to or shift something to rest your rifle on. And uh, yeah, so the point is to have each team member get an antelope in one shot, which surprisingly so many teams don't get. Uh, There's there are a couple of teams where no one got one. In one shot, there really? was only, yeah, huh. there were a bunch of teams where one or two people out of the three were successful, and there was one team out of over, I don't know, what do we have, like 12, 13 teams? One team where each person was successful in getting an antelope with one shot. So that was the winning team. She pointed out that it's kind of a friendly competition. It's a very friendly yeah, competition. It's not like a, oh, yeah, it's not like a bunch of money getting Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was a very friendly competition. Yeah, so I had I went out with uh, or to the same general area with my guide as another hunter and their guide, and the other hunter had the first hour, and you're kind of supposed to roughly keep track of where they are because you're in the same zone, but they they kind of disappeared, and when my hour was about to start, we we couldn't find where they were, so my guide and I went off. And we mainly saw does. And there was a, an initial opportunity that I think, you know, probably everyone in this room would have taken. Um, but because I was so nervous and couldn't steady myself, I didn't take this opportunity. We, we were probably about 200, 150 yards away from a group of antelope that, uh, in which there was one buck. And I don't think there could have been a better setup where we were able to get out of the truck and then crawl to hide behind a huge boulder upon which I could rest my rifle. But um, I was just really freaked out around, you know, they were all moving slowly. There was only one buck. It was in a group of does. I didn't want to mess up and just couldn't. I probably had five seconds of an opportunity, and I just couldn't take it. And then I was really upset for initially because I just thought, ah, like, that's it. I blew it. Like, there was no better setup than that. And we we kind of drove to a different area of the unit, 
we saw a bunch of does and so no bucks. And then we finally, my guide's grandson actually uh, spotted a lone buck. And we were kind of able to drive around this hill and uh, try to crawl up from behind and, and get him. And probably within about 150 yards after some crawling, we, we were able to see him and uh, my guide noticed that he was walking a bit funny. And we had found out that the other hunter in the area had taken a shot at an antelope and tracked it for a while, but then it disappeared. They couldn't find him. So my guide was like, I think this is this is the critter. And then I, I just thought, like, my opportunity is almost up. Like, I gave up the first one. This is it. I think I need to just do it. I was so nervous. My, like, heart was beating outside of my chest. Oh, God, I can kind of, like, <laughs> feel oh, really? it again. You have flashbacks? I, having flashbacks, I could not control myself. I was probably tearing up, shaking. Yeah, I'm having flashbacks. So I kind of did that, uh, what do they call it, military crawl. The guy was kind of moving slowly at, I guess, within 150, and uh, there was a flat-top rock that was really perfect that I was able to get to and lying prone, rest my rest my rifle on. And I was just remembering what a lot of people had told me uh, before and during kind of an earlier day of shooting practice to really not think too much. Like if it's in your crosshairs, if you can see behind the shoulder, like where you need to take a shot, just breathe, relax, commit and do it. So he was walking very slowly and I got him in my crosshairs and I just told myself, take the shot. And I took the shot and he dropped. Nice. So, you know, and then I continued to be very jittery and nervous for some time. And then <laughs> like I, afterward. Yeah, oh yeah. And the, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't relax. And then I cried a lot and, you know, hugged my guide and he said some very, uh, Mickey said some very very kind words to me and uh he was he was a pretty he was a beautiful creature you know when you after you tag and you kind of bring him to there's like a, a wildlife and they're like students from a university we had to like drive the antelope oh when, I, when, I, when I was down there when i was down there for it i don't remember that okay maybe yeah, I remember was, we just took it to a lot we okay. just took it to a uh, dude i was hanging out with okay locker and cut it up next day okay well this one grad student identified this buck as being at least four years old because okay. he was looking at the, you know, his teeth. Mm -hmm. um, and he also had a very beautiful black stripe running down the center of his face and nose, which I guess if it is a younger animal, it's more brown. It's mm -hmm. just not as defined Yeah, they don't black. get it. Yeah, and yep. the cheek patches are a mm -hmm. little bit different. Yep. And uh, now I've got some antelope in my freezer. Did you feel that it was mortally wounded? Would have been mortally wounded, um, or like the pre, like oh, you know, pre, it was shot in the leg. Which so, leg? Front. Front right. Like, front do you right. feel that it would never? It wouldn't have made it through the winter, or don't you know? I don't know because it was broadside. Its left side was broadside to me, and it was its right front leg that was injured. So when I shot, it fell to its right. And when we approached it, it's from its kind of elbow joint mm -hmm. down was like twisted around. And it had been walking yeah. prior yeah. to me shooting it. So I couldn't tell if 
when he fell, if the weight of his body plus the weakness from that previous injury twisted it, twisted it around. I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you don't know if it was packing it weird or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see on Instagram that picture I put up of that? I don't know the people we haven't talked to, him, but it was floating around on Facebook. As these dudes in Oregon shot this bull elk that had a a mysterious, like a very mysterious broadhead. Oh yeah, lodged yeah, in the, the roof of its yeah. mouth, where a guy had hit it, busted its tooth out, and the broadhead had lived for I don't know how long. Like it was healed up, lodged in the roof of its mouth. I have a vertebra with a broadhead yeah. like, built into it, like the bone is all ossified around the uh, around the broadhead, but uh, lodged in there. And I was like trying to figure out what kind of broadhead it was. And it's funny because I started sending it to I sent it to uh, Bill at Iron Will mm-hmm. Broadheads. And he can't identify it. Is it like really old? Yeah, he's like, and then he sent it to, he sent it to someone in like the Broadhead Collectors Association. Pat Durkin, this is funny because Spencer's laughing about this. Pat Durkin sent it to the two people he knows who are old Broadhead collectors. <laughs> both of his Broadhead collector friends. No one can identify it. Really? No. One of these was like a type of Broadhead. One guess is this type of Broadhead like used to be used by trad bow hunters. But it's not like this thing lived forever. I mean, it's, you know, at, at its oldest, it's six, seven years right, old. Right, right, right. Oh, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. So someone using some old-ass, hard-to-identify broadhead. Have you looked at it? Yeah, you looked at it. Yeah. If you go to my Instagram, at Stephen Rennell, you'll find this picture. Crazy. Maybe it's some... Steve, I think they... Uh, I think they... Custom filed and sharpened the back edges of that broadhead. That's one theory. The other theory is that they yeah. got worn from being in its mouth. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say yeah. maybe it's some like trad bow hunters. They like to make their own stuff. Mm, yeah, maybe could maybe be. someone made it. Well, I feel like he needs to spend a little more time shooting and making. <laughs> well, I don't know any, any number of things. I yeah. hate to get all saying. You get in the comment section, and I had said. In my in my caption, I had said I have five or six questions I'd like to ask the individual yeah. who shot the arrow. People took that to mean like a condemnation, like, oh, how could you be so bad? That's not my question. My question is, what the hell is that broadhead? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get it so it entered the side of its face into the roof of its mouth? It just various questions. Yeah. Not like you're a bad how are you a bad, you know. Not a con, but but man, people really jumped on whoever the dude is. No one knows who the dude is. He really got a reaming. <laughs> yeah, got a good reaming. Okay, uh, one guy. So I comment here. Here's one question that came in about the show. Spencer, do you want to read the questions? That's what you want. I don't know. You think that's stupid or a good idea? I think you pick the questions you want to answer and you read them yourself. Like that makes more sense. Yeah. One guy said how commented how in, in the first episode of our new season, we hunt antelope with Luke Combs. Someone said how I describe how antelope smell like Frito-Lay corn chips. Luke Combs says that his dog smells like Frito-Lay corn chips. Someone says, what's Luke smell like? I couldn't, I never got a good whiff of Luke. <laughs> I didn't get Frito. I feel Frito-Lay like, just, like yeah, he smells like a, what most humans smell like, I would say, because I never like registered <laughs> anything unusual. Our buddy Casey says he smells like Frito-Lay corn chips if he doesn't shower for a little while. <laughs> well, is that right? Yeah. Uh, Casey does say that. Yep. His armpits. He said kind of like, he huh. said he kind of likes the smell. So, 
my daughter, for whatever reason, my daughter wants to get a stick of deodorant real bad, and I have no idea why. And she said that she she says if I don't wear a deodorant, I smell like old macaroni and cheese. <laughs> it's probably, that's probably because you probably have old macaroni and cheese on you. Probably. <laughs> uh, I didn't register a smell with Luke. No. Uh, how, someone want to know how many beers I drank with Luke? Those boys drink a fair number of beers. Mm-hmm. But I, but rather than answering that question, I'll talk about what I was drinking. I was so. The ranch we are at, they have friends. This is the best shit on the planet, man. The ranch we are at had friends who run 4J BQ sauces. Am I reading this right? 4J barbecue sauces. It's a like 4J ranch, 4J barbecue sauces. He gave me a jar. The guy who, who owns the ranch gave me a jar of this stuff called Bloody 55, which is Bloody Mary mix. But man, you take a swill beer. Like just a regular shitty beer. Good beer. Good beer. What I think of as good beer, but swill. Yeah. Like, I think shitty beer is good. Same. And people are like, oh, it tastes like water. I'm like, I like water too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you drink beer and people get mad that the beer tastes, they get mad about it. But it's like, but why would I not just drink things that I like? And also, why is it not make you mad when I drink water? <laughs> I agree, man. People, people, it's just like people drinking have, water. I'm like, but I drink water. People have such an opinion <laughs> about it. <laughs> but I think it's the, the weirdest, stupidest argument. Point is, is like if so, you're so drinking watery. beer, it should, or if you're drinking a thing, it should taste like what it is. It does. It so tastes if you're like swill beer. Like water. Okay. It tastes like like I like swill beer. Yeah. I don't like. I don't. I don't need that much flavor in my life. Like, if you're gonna drink beer for four hours, I don't need every sip to be like, oh my god. You know? I agree. It's like, you don't sit and eat foie gras for four hours. You, you eat foie gras for a couple minutes. When's the last time you sat <laughs> you down and drank beer shooters. for four hours, though? <laughs> Slowly cleaning fish? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> On that Luke Combs shoot? And no, in my fish shack, I'll drink beer. I'll drink... Oh, yeah. I'll drink, like, two cans of beer over the course of four hours. <laughs> On Giannis's Instagram... I don't need that much flavor in my life. Oh, my... Giannis's the worst. On Giannis's Instagram, you can see a video of Giannis and Luke shotgunning a beer. Oh, which is extremely impressive. It's great. Did you shotgun with them? I don't know how. Never have? No. Hmm. We used to do keg stands. We used to fill uh, fish, co- fish aquariums up with combat juice. <laughs> and then you'd get lowered into it. <laughs> that used to be the thing we liked to do. <laughs> do you but, tell a story about something floating in the combat juice? Oh, tonight? we were doing that one night when I was in this house I used to live in with some buddies of mine, and we were doing that where we filled a fish aquarium with combat juice, and you know, then you get like don't you know, like they hold you up by your ankles in there. Yeah. Uh the next day looking, it was just like I remember it was like it goes seventy six cents of change is in the bottom of that from shaking out of people's pockets, and the and the, the surface of the water was just hair, oh, human hair, oh, no. <laughs> brutal. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores 
and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code meat eater at checkout that's 20% off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code meat eater at liquidiv.com looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to, okay? It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere meaning you share videos photos from any device and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world there's no memory card required right now aura has a great deal for mother's day listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting auraframes.com to get 30 dollars off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame that's a-u-r-a frames.com use code meat eater at checkout to save terms and conditions apply Oh, but what I was saying about these beers. So this bloody 55, here's what you do. You get yourself a swill beer. It annoys my brother because I'll pour the top off. But he likes to drink the top off. Yeah. So whatever, however you go. If you're frugal, you drink the top off. If you're like me, you pour the top off and top it off with bloody 55. If you want to get real good, you get a turkey baster. Um... You know, I knew some people one time that that it was a couple. It was two. It was a couple, and they wanted to have a. It was a, it was a, a two women that wanted to have a baby. They were a couple, and they um, wanted one of their brothers to be the donor. 
and did the whole thing with a turkey baster. Huh. Wow. Successfully. You yes. get yourself a turkey baster. <laughs> a different one. <laughs> I think we can put it together. Okay. And, <laughs> I think you got it. And you draw out. This is what I did. I, bought, I, I fell so in love with this drink that I'm telling everybody about that I bought a turkey baster for this purpose. You get yourself a turkey baster, suck the bloody 55 out, and then inject it into your can. You're really good at sound effects. Oh, yeah. I think we need to make a whole, yeah. Eject it into your can mess-free. That's pretty impressive. I like to do two good glops. Two good... (laughs) That's the official glop sound right there. Unit, unit so, of measurement. How many beers did I drink with Luke? Not many, but I sure enjoyed them <laughs> because I had that jar of that stuff. Man, that stuff is good. It's expensive to order it, which my wife, I, I talked it up so much. My wife got me some for Christmas, but I had to pay shipping. It's, it's better to find a, I mean, if you're going to order, order a whole bunch because you don't want to be shipping around one jar of that stuff. This, this here question inspired a whole lot of topic coverage. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can order some forest floor foods, Bloody Mary mix, too. Oh, I don't know about that kind. There you go. Oh, really? yeah. We talked about it on this here podcast before. How come you never sent me any of that? Chester, take it away. I got some. In my Where? house. In my house. I think there's some sitting there's upstairs right now. I'll company. drink every last... Oh, yeah, last, there is some sitting I'll upstairs. I'll drink every last drop of that, Chester. Yeah. That's pretty similar to a, a michelada, right? That's oh, like, yeah. It's like beer and tomato. That's my... Dude. <laughs> oh, um... Bud Light Chilada, ice fishing. I haven't, I haven't tried one. When it gets real cold out and it gets slushy and you're ice fishing, but you got, you're warm because you got like a lot of clothes and a fur hat on. So you're hot, but it's cold and your chilada's slushy. Oh. Very tasty. There you go. Those days are coming. <laughs> oh, I think you can or- order some Forest Floor Foods stuff off the Meat Eater website coming soon. <laughs> Oh, that's going to happen? I think it's going to happen. Huh. Yeah. How about some forest floor food stuff on the old auction house, Chester? Is it really a... It's got to be one of a kind. I don't know how they do It's got to come where if you buy... <laughs> it's got to come with you going to their house and singing. <laughs> and, and making them a drink. With yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great auction. Service, item. yeah. Like an old-fashioned. Oh, gosh, here it goes again. Chester plays guitar <laughs> and makes you... A, in Dude. old fashion. Sorry, Chester. Danielle. I'm not Chester's that interested. going to take folks. him away from yeah. home even more. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Speaking of Danielle, other Danielle, Danielle's dog's going up on the auction house very soon. That's true. We're going to put up on the auction house that you bid on Chester's family's pickles mixes. You bid on a forest floor food drink mix. <laughs> right? This isn't, you know, this isn't actually happening until it happens, but hear me out, Chester. You buy... A forest floor foods food box. The old-fashioned box. When you buy it, Chester comes to your house and makes you a drink and sings you a song. Chester, you don't have to put up with this anymore. <laughs> Stand up for yourself. <laughs> what do you think, Chester? That'd be a good auction item. Man, Listen, I, I don't Doug Duren I really is don't know what fill, to do. Start writing the apology. Doug Duren's gonna fill a mason jar. With Buckman juice while someone watches him do it? <laughs> That's and sacrifice. you can't go to their house and sing a song? I never said no. Okay. But 
I'm just trying to picture it, like how that would it's work. A very weird interaction. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys? Uh, double single. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Sounds like you got it all planned out, dude. Someone asked on one of our episodes. We had a mount. We had a mountain goat hunt episode, and I whiffed a shot at a mountain goat. It was, I think it was like th- around 300 yards away, and I whiffed a shot at it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, whatever happened? How'd you miss that shot? I, I missed that shot because of a whole bunch of reasons. I'll, I'll explain a couple of them. Uh, one, it's been a long day. I mean, as much as that's an excuse. Um, climbing around, had to have like spent the few hours climbing around with crampons in the snow. Everything was cold and wet. Finally get up on the mountain, go to its bedded down. And if you've ever been in a situation where you're laying down in the snow waiting for something to stand up and you've been hiking a lot, you just start getting cold. So that becomes the thing. And then you start thinking, man, I can't lay here any longer because I'm going to get so cold. I'm shaking so bad and shivering because now I'm all soaking wet laying in the snow. And the other thing that's going to my head is like, if the mountain goat stands up, I'm going to, I don't know what's behind him. Like you're hunting in very cliffy stuff. And in fact, uh, had he gone over that thing, did you ever go up there? Seth? Yes. I was very uncomfortable. Had he gone up over, like, had he fallen the other direction, it would have been very, like, a weird, hard place to extract him yeah. from. So might I was need, thinking. Might have needed ropes. Yeah, you might have needed ropes and you might have get dirt mist, climbing gear and all that to go fetch him. Yeah. Uh, dicey. So in my head, I'm thinking, you got to hit him in, you got to hit him in the high shoulder. Got to hit him in the high shoulder. Because when you hear people say, like, hit him in the high shoulder, it's like, you'll, you'll drop it quick. So I'm thinking, I'm going to hit in the high shoulder. But it's, it's, you know, November. What I hadn't been really plotting on, because uh, I just lost it in sort of the heat of the moment, for one thing, is that he's got eight, nine inches of wool on top of his shoulder. They're not nearly as big as you think they are. Like, you strip the hide off, and it looks like a normal goat laying there. Yeah, like how many pounds of meat off this one creature, just to get a sense of size, or how much does he weigh? That's a great question. I carried one the other day. Um I carried all the meat from one the other day, and I did not feel that my backpack was that heavy. Okay. It was like a one trek and pole pack out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the hell is it. What, what is in one? I don't know. Very low yield, though. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're all, they got a huge gut. They're eating all that low-quality forage. They got like an enormous digestive tract, huge gut, not a lot of meat. They don't run. Small back straps. I remember that. Small back straps. Small little... Not very wide. Yeah, there's not like a girt. They're they're not. You get the hide off them, and your eyes like, wow. There can't be forty pounds. Of, I don't know. Is there forty pounds of boneless meat in a mountain goat? Maybe a big one. That's yeah. it. Maybe more than that. I don't. Uh, you know, I I, yeah, I, I could know. I could find out, but I don't know off the top of my head. I could do some math and figure it out. Uh, I carried like bone. I carried one out bone in. And I don't think my backpack. There's got to be more. There's no way my backpack weighed more than eighty pounds. And I had the whole thing on the bone, including rib slab, in my backpack. And I don't think my backpack weighed 80 pounds. It's like antelope size. Mm-hmm. Huh. So anyways, I'm thinking about high shoulder. I was not accounting for, um, I was not accounting for all that wool. I was also off in how I clicked. I was off in my hold. And I was also off in my zero. I was high on my zero. So... Each of these things contributed a little bit, and I took off a hunk of wool, which hangs on the wall of the podcast studio. If you look carefully at the hunk of wool that that bullet took off that mountain goat, you'll see that there's a teensiest little bit of like like leather 
kind of attached to it. So we made a little pla- dirt myth made me a little plaque where there's the wool that I knocked off, and that's called the miss. And then above that is a picture of the mountain goat, and that's called the hit. But I took that hunk of wool off his back. It's like a, two flattened cotton balls. Should put a picture of that on your Instagram or something, Steve, when this episode drops or something like that. I don't know. That'd be a great idea. That's the best idea. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And <laughs> the in the back of the thing, he he. Oh, he burnt, lessons he burnt in lessons learned. Yeah, Dirt Myth got into making picture frames. What a thoughtful dude! God, he made a beautiful picture frame for me that hangs right in my when, right when you come into my house. One of his picture frames is hanging there. It's got moss and shit on it. Or like, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. He's a crafty little feller. He's he a spell checker though. He needs a spell checker. Yeah, he made lessons possessive. Listen, I don't think Dirt puts a whole lot of. <laughs> from what I know about Dirt, I don't think that Dirt would ever tell you that that's his specialty. <laughs> I don't think he specializes in spelling. One of a kind, though. Does not specialize in spelling. Why wave a white flag when you're antelope hunting? That's an old trick. That's an old trick. My older brother, I have a, uh, I have a older half brother, who's in his late seventies. Oddly, isn't that surprising? That's pretty 78, 78 years old. He was a um he was a hunting guide for a long time in Colorado. He's the first guy that ever told me about waving something white at him. And he was a hunting guide a million years ago. He would uh he'd carry a white a white flag. You know, an antelope got a big white side on him. Yep. Like an antelope's reddish brown, but he's got a huge white flank. It ain't for hiding. It's for finding each other. You know, when the sun's shining on that thing, like they live in they live spread out and big huge flat country they're ridiculously fast for any predator that's out there as an adult just like hiding is not on their sort of they're not worried about hiding they don't when they bed down they bed down in very obvious places like antelope don't do anything to hide the more pressure they're under the more they want to lay up high where they can see everything that's going on and they don't do anything to conceal themselves i think that that big white side is just a way that antelope keep track of antelope and one with a buck and some other ones too. If you just take something, a white thing, and wave it and then hide it so it sees the white but never gets to really get a read on the white, nine out of, t- I don't know, maybe not nine out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times, that thing's going to close distance on you. Huh. They, they just, they, you, like if you, if he doesn't know you're there or he's like, what is that thing over there? And you wait, hold a game bag up and let a game bag blow in the wind. And then put it down. He's gonna start walking your direction. Hot tip. We've had same way with caribou. If you if you sorry one second sorry. yeah with caribou if if you see caribou they're gonna pass you by and they're not gonna get close to you and you're hidden. Stand up and walk around for a minute, then lay back down. Did I mean they drop everything? Like you, they're gregarious. Just, okay. Yeah, you get up, hunch over, walk around a minute, and then lay back down, and and usually they're gonna start. Because like it's either a grizzly, a caribou, or a wolf. It's a if it's a grizzly or wolf, I'll just see that and turn away. If it's mm-hmm. a caribou, I want to go hang out. Hmm. You're like exploiting their gregarious. Very similar to putting decoys out for a duck. Yeah. Go ahead, Seth. Um, our dog is like col- similarly colored to antelope, brown and white, and we've had antelope see the dog and like come running in to see, like to get closer, just because it. She's your I'm, little decoy. I'm like assuming just because, decoy. yeah, I'm assuming just because it, it looked sure like from a distance, she looks like a little antelope in a way. 
Uh, they dec- you know, during during the rut, they decoy very effectively too. Yeah. But I've used that game bag trick all the time, and I keep a game bag always handy. Antelope hunting. Clay, take on this question about respecting the kill, man. Have you looked at this one? How prepared are you? You know, I, on I, did, st- I did. I did see it. I'm probably a six and a half. Let me read it to you. Yes, please. This fella writes in. I don't know. Maybe I'm assuming a feller. I don't know. He says, I was explaining to my wife about respecting the kill an animal after it's harvested. And she was down for it and understood. But then she happened to be watching the raccoon episode with Clay and Giannis. And she grew livid when y'all showed Mingus the hide in the tree. Asking how the heck does that respecting the animal's life? Mm. I didn't have an answer for it. Got any insight? Just so I, Clay will take it on, but I'll explain real quick. Uh, Giannis is training a dog. He's training Mingus as a hunting dog, a tracking dog. He wants to be able to run raccoons, wants to be able to run lions. So in order to help the dog make the association between, to connect all the dots of what was happening, Giannis uh, shook the raccoons hide by the tree Got the dog excited about the raccoon, excited about the tree, just to help the dog connect all the dots. Be like, oh, the raccoon's in a tree. They got the raccoon. Now we get to smell it and play with it. Um, so there, Clay, how, how is, if you use it for dog training, does that inherently make it disrespectful? No, I, I would I would have to say that, you know, to me, the the holistic experience of using that animal you know, we we took the meat from that animal. We harvested the hide from that animal, which we're, we we tanned, and and that is in the auction house of oddities right now. Yeah, you wear that, cool. Clay? I got it tanned, yeah. and it's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, I I just I personally wouldn't have viewed that as disrespectful at all. I mean, if you're if you're looking at the macro picture of the massive explosion of and unnatural populations of raccoons in the country, the best thing that you can do for living raccoons is train raccoon dogs to go out and harvest the overabundance of raccoons. So it's like this circle of life thing, you know? What Clay's referring to there is raccoon prices are at historic lows, and you have a incredible number of raccoons on the landscape right now, um, which can be detrimental to a lot of other species great for raccoons potentially until they get the, the until they get infectious diseases that spread through them that's right no you know i i just didn't i, I would have never viewed that as being disrespectful to the animal i mean we didn't let the dog wool on it or anything you know so. no if you had a leather throw toy and trained your dog with that um would that be disrespectful to that cow no one would ever right. bring that up. If you threw an old shoe, an old leather shoe for a dog, you're like, get it, boy, get it, boy. Is that bad? It's made of leather. Yeah. Yeah. Put that in her pipe and smoke it. Yeah, the dog, <laughs> the, the, the dog toy aisle at the pet store is just loaded with pig's ears and cow hooves. and. Oh, that's a good question. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. Is that disrespectful? Don't think to so. The pig? No one cares about respecting farm animals. Nope. No. I mean, no cons- farmers do. Consumers don't. Yeah. Clay, here's another one for you. 
Did Mingus do well behind the scenes? And how is Mingus's training going? Mingus is Yanni's dog. Yanni got a pound puppy. He went down to the pound and got like a hound dog. Yeah. You know what? I So prior to this hunt, Giannis had talked about bringing Mingus. And I actually discouraged him a little bit from it just because I did not think in, you know, three nights of hunting that the dog would catch on at all. And, and so I was, I guess I didn't discourage him. I just, I didn't try to say, Hey, this is going to be really good for this dog. And in complete honesty, I was pretty shocked at how quickly that that dog was, was treeing raccoons. And what you wouldn't have seen is that Giannis stayed two extra nights after the shoot. And we went out and Mingus absolutely struck and treed on a coon I mean, just not all by himself. My dogs were there too, but you know, so the dog did fantastic. He, he really had the ability to catch on quick to, to tree an unseen game, which that's the trick with raccoon hunting. with the big game hounds. A lot of times they're seeing the animal in a tree because, uh, just a larger animal, like a mountain lion or a bear is sometimes visible. Their scent is really strong. A, 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 a raccoon hound has to be a little more nuanced because he's totally treeing off of scent. And man, Mingus really did awesome. And what was also kind of stunk, Steve, is that, you know, we really struggled. I mean, in, the raccoon hunting was not where I figured we would have trouble. Dude, we were in and a we, cold snap that made national news. Oh, yeah, there it was were terrible. dead woodpeckers laying all over in the woods that froze to death. <laughs> It was weird. We wandering around the woods were dead birds. Yeah. They looked yeah. perfect. That was like weird. perfect dead birds laying there that had froze to death. Yeah. Well, the other two nights that, that we hunted, we just, the coon hunting was great. You know, after, after the shoot. Yeah, so, it finally warmed up. Yeah, it warmed up a little bit. Another question for you, Clay. So... Uh, on the episode where Clay and I are hunting uh, whitetails in Texas, I bust Clay's rattling antlers, which I'll point out are in the auction house of oddities right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the very rattling antlers. And he wants to know if Clay's rattling antlers were ready to snap or were you giving it an extra bit of juice? Mm. Okay. A, I am a strong man. Let me... I don't I even can, know my own strength. Okay, there's a little bit of history with those antlers. One of the antlers was a five-point side of a buck that my dad acquired at a bow like a like a bow shoot uh door prize event. It's a yeah. beautiful, probably 140-inch side, and I sawed off the brow tine. The left antler was a Sure enough, Ozark Mountain Shed that I picked up in 2005 on, and I'll tell you the property, it was on the kick line property. And so it it had been laying there since 2005. I mean, I mean, it had not been laying there. It had been, you know, off the, off the deer's head since then. And it had no indication of fracture or breakage. And on the first sit of our hunt, yeah, you broke it, man. Mm-hmm. So wasn't there, I, some, I, wasn't there some squirrels chewing on that? 
there was a touch of squirrel chewing, but it was not on the G1, which is what Steve broke. <laughs> gotcha. I can't remember. G2. Did, it was a G2. I'm sorry. Did we go looking for the broken chunk? I feel like I remember looking for it, but I can't remember if we found it. No, yeah, you, you know what? Oh, I carried did. it. I yeah. carried it around the whole hunt, and I can't find it now. Oh, because it'd be uh, sweet if we could include that. And you picked it up in the episode. Oh, I did? Yeah. Hmm. Good eye, Seth. I got another one for you, Clay. All right. You're getting a lot of action in there, buddy. Someone wants to know what... <laughs> this is also in the Auction House of Oddities. What was Clay's shotgun revolver making model? That thing looks so cool. That's what that thing's got going for, is it looks cool. <laughs> That's right. A lot of comments. Yeah, People man. People like that, that, was that old that, Wild uh, Westy looking thing. It That was a, a Rossi circuit judge, and it's a 410. <laughs> it's a revolver. The revolver 410 uh, that also shoots 45 caliber bullets. And you know what? I I want to get a modified choke for it. It truly would be a great squirrel gun, and I used it, and I enjoyed. I really enjoy carrying it. I need a modified tighter choke. That was the only thing. It, it shoots a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty loose pattern. But uh, yeah, man, I love it. I, I really enjoy carrying that gun for squirrel hunting. But need a tighter choke. You can learn more about that gun on our website. Steve wrote an article that we published on September 30th called The Guns of Meat Eater Seeds and 10. He talks about six of the guns used in the five episodes. God, the guy's good, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Now, hey, on, yeah, the, good. on the episode, we called it the peacemaker, though. <laughs> yeah. The oh, peacemaker. Were, were we calling it in, in error? Well, I... Or we I, just it, dubbed it that? It was a nickname, Well, it was, it, it was just kind of a nickname. The peacemaker. Uh, Oh, I missed one I was going to bring up. Would I have thought of the mountain goat hunt as a success had I killed a nanny? I would have kept at it and just got. I, I, no, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, I had it in my head to find a Billy, and I was going to find a. I was going to find a Billy. If I'd have had to go and not get one, I'd have gone and not got one. But would you like have felt badly? No. If you would have gotten a nanny. No, but I just had it in my head what I was going to do, and I wasn't going to change what I was going to do. No, but I, I mean, That's my like, career advice, too. <laughs> I think they're more framing it if you misidentified. Right, that's what And yeah. walked up and yeah. Why shot did they a say nanny. That? Why did they say that? Not, that's why I took that. Oh, <laughs> had we misidentified? No, I, well, not, it would have been like, no, I wouldn't have... Uh, I would have been disappointed in our ability to, like, make that... It's a very hard thing to do. I'm anything but an expert, but I would have been, yeah, I would have been, it would have been a complicated one for me. I would have been disappointed. Hey, Steve, let me ask you this. When you walked up to it, what was the percentage chance in your mind that it was a Billy? I mean, were you like 100% sure? 100%. Really? Just so we were able no to watch it a while, and it even had like the piss stained hump, it just had all the trimmings. Okay, it had all the trimmings. And at that point, we had looked at we had just been able to look at a lot of goats. And the other thing is, we're able to this is when it gets helpful is when you have a mixed herd because by that, by, the, by that point, they were starting to get ready for the rut, and so Billy's were moving in with the nannies. So not only 
when it's tricky is when you're looking at all nannies or you're looking at all billies. But when you got them lined up, it becomes like when you have a bunch to compare, you you, you can, it, it becomes very easy when you have stuff to compare it to. And like I said, he had like the, the, the rubbed flank. He was pissy colored. He was more yellow than everyone else. You could compare the horn structure with everyone else. Do you remember when we spotted that group? Yeah. I was down below. I'm like, oh, there's a Billy. There's actually two Billys in there, remember? And then you guys were like, looked at him. You're like, oh, that's cool. Chester kind of wrote it off, that group. Oh, we ignored you. Yeah. And then Seth, about 25 minutes later, looks in that group. He's like, oh, there's a Billy. And you guys are like... Oh, good work, Seth. Oh, nice job. <laughs> oh. Hey. <laughs> Phil, do you think you know that song we're going to make about me being right? Yeah. Do you want to do that? I'll do it for Chester. You can play it for Chester, too. <laughs> yeah. It's going to sound a lot better, a lot more detailed. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Phil. Yeah, no worries. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Chester's trying to get in on the, he's trying to get in on the, on the, the post glory. No, I, I really don't care, but I thought it was pretty funny. No, I, I appreciate that. That's the kind of thing to burn my ass, man. I still be walking around with that too, Chester. <laughs> I still be walking around with it. Every once in a while, Chet looks at me weird. I'm like, oh, I wonder, wonder what he's yeah, thinking. Yeah, that's a point on his mind. He's just pissed. There's a good saying, um, vengeance is a dish best served cold. Ooh. There you go, Chet. Oh, on the top, here's a hell of a segue. On the top of the horns, remember I was saying how you could see, the, you could compare the Billy's and the Nanny's horns when they're all standing there together? Someone said they never thought about this until we brought it up on the episode. Pronghorn are the only animal that shed their horns annually. And he's got them to wondering, is the material and structure of horns, how's that different than antlers? Well, yeah, so horns are made out of, here's a very, like, I'm going to give it, you probably know a lot about this, Spencer. I'm going to give a very sort of like superficial understanding. Horns are made, are, are keratinous. They're made, out, they're, they're made out of the substance that your hair and fingernails are made out of. Yeah. I was recently cutting some antlers for my wife to make jewelry out of. That's cute. And when you're running this thing across the saw, it smells like when you're at the dentist. Oh, yeah, it doesn't antler smell like smells burnt bad. hair? Antler smells like burnt hair when you cut yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It smells, it smells like, like when, when you're getting... Uh, when, you're, when they're like yeah, drilling in your mouth, that's what it smells like. Antler or horn? Antler. Oh, cutting antler smells like burnt hair. Yeah. I hate and that it, smell. We used I'd... to cut a lot of antler. But you're not even talking about what I'm talking about. I, but you were, you were talking about antlers first, I thought. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. Listen. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trusting that you probably know a lot about mm. this because it seems like the kind of thing you'd know a lot sure, about. Okay. All Maybe right. not. I don't know. Maybe you don't know anything about it. I'm just saying, a way to generally begin to understand, like a very superficial way to understand the difference between horn and antler. Material. Horn is hair-like. It's keratinous. It's made out of the... In, in fact, in antelopes, when you're looking at a, the new growth on an antelope, it's almost like you can look and see the hair turning into horn. Like it starts out as a hair-like fiber that turns to horn. And is it hollow-ish? Yeah, ish. You no, know, it has a bone core. Right, but when it's, you mm-hmm. so this is getting a little bit complicated. Let me <laughs> talk about horn, let me talk about horn stuff in general for a minute. Okay, go ahead. What do you guys say? Seth? I was gonna say when you pop them off, they're hollow. Yeah, yeah. right. It's I, yeah. I should, yes, but they're formed around. Let me just set the table. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about horned shit in general. Big horns. Okay, dull sheep, bison. 
pronghorn. Yep. Mountain goats. They have what? Why are you taking a big inhale? <laughs> No reason. Okay. I'm, you're doing great. <laughs> that is a hair-like structure that sits over a bone core. When you take a bighorn, if you find an old bighorn deadhead, a lot of times the horn will have rotted away, and what is left is a bone core. So that thing's skull, its skull has these big-ass blades that come out of it and go up and fill the base of the horn. Right? Yes. Antelope, pro, American pronghorn to be like more, more, more correct, more contemporary. American pronghorn, first off, they don't have any kinfolk. They're the only member of their genus. They're endemic to North America. So they're found nowhere else. No other, at the end of the, at the Pleistocene Holocene transition, all their cousins vanished from the face of the earth. They're the only member of their genus. They are one of a kind. They have a horn that sheds annually. When that horn comes off, underneath it is the new horn already growing. And it's a slick little gross little growth under there. Looks like matted hair. And then it comes into its own as a horn. If you kill an antelope, and you just go clean it. Like, let's say you take an antelope and you beetle clean it or boil it, and you don't take that horn off, you are in for a treat. Because some time will go by, and this happens to people all the time. Some time will go by, and all of a sudden, something doesn't smell right. And then all of a sudden, your whole house doesn't smell right. Because you need to get that horn off and clean out all that funkation that exists between the bone core in the horn to get sheep off. Like when we clean doll sheep, you'll put it in a contractor bag. You put the whole damn head in the contractor bag and pour some water in there and tie it up and leave it out in the sun. And then get yourself a piece of plywood. And once you've got it good and rotten, you take it out and throw it at the plywood to to pop the horns off. Stinks like holy hell. Some of the worst stench you ever experienced. But it has that same, like, hairy condom look no. to it? No. Just See? a rotten, nasty look. Oh, okay. Because he's Cause, not cause building it's... a new one. He's oh. not building a new one under there. Because yeah. a sheep has his horns for his entire life. Okay, so pronghorns are the only ones that have that weird, because they're shedding Because they're growing, that weird yeah. Because that new one yeah. grows okay. underneath. and gotcha. It's like when you're a little kid, you don't have any kids. Not but yet. either way, if you do, your teeth will fall out and there'll be a new one waiting there in line. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Uh, that's how their horns are. Like the new one's waiting there in line and kind of like shoves the old one off. Yeah, I remember looking at that for the first time. It was pretty gross. It's like a, it's like a tight skin around there. When you boil it, you have to like score it. Yep. And then you can once it's boiled, you can like peel it off. Yeah, it's like a little condom over the yeah bone core. Yep. And they do have like a, a hollow cavity in them, Corinne. Um, in college, I shot like a year and a so half old antelope. Here he goes. Here's the Spencer we know and love. <laughs> <laughs> I shot like a year and a half old antelope, which would have made for like a really, really unimpressive European mount. So I pulled its horns off and I made a shot glass with one of them because it held exactly an ounce of liquid in it. Oh, that's cute. That's yeah. cool. Huh. You still got it? No. Abused it. 
It's, it's a good uh, auction house odd. That's <laughs> right. And I imagine as you get like a two and a half year old, three and a half year old, four and a half year old, you're probably getting to like a, a big shot glass volume at that point. If you listen to this podcast, you'd know that um, age doesn't lead to big antelope. For a long time, the world record antelope out of New Mexico was three years old. Yeah, but there's certainly a At difference. At six, between, they go downhill. There's got to be a difference between like a one and a half and a four and a half year Absolutely. old. Absolutely. Yeah. But they, but they top out. They can top out at three. But that's the same with like a white-tailed deer. They'll they'll peak at like six and a half, seven and a half, and then start going downhill. Well, these go these go downhill way earlier. I don't even know what we're arguing about here. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, <laughs> antler, antler is in understanding horns and antlers. Antler is bone like, very similar to bone. The structure very similar to bone. That's why for a long time, you know, like certain things become like certain things you say become fashionable. And it would be that it'd be some years ago, it became a thing where you call pronghorn goats and also the whole damn world calls them goats. Speed goats. I just had a guy say, I got a goat tag for some unit. I'm like, I don't really have mountain goats in that unit. <laughs> He's like, oh no, I mean antelope. I was so confused at one shot for a hot second. Everybody called, Aaron was calling it the, a goat and I'm like, what? what? It became know. very hip to call them goats. And for a while ago, it became very hip to call antler bone. Hmm. A lot of bone. Look at all that bone. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Spencer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one for you, Seth. Yep. You didn't even get to the question part of why like, we talked about <laughs> antelope horns for 10 minutes. What's the question? Because that, that the was The guy asked question. you about just like... Oh, Is no, the material you... and structure of horns different from no, antlers? You did. I, I was I feel like I elucidated that like the Dickens. You did. I was thinking during the episode you had talked to him. You're like, yeah. Now sometimes you find these things just laying around. I was like, no, you don't. You don't find those on the prairie. I've never you seen want one. Bet in my a life. Mil- no, I know. Dude, and we then, find one on the episode. I know, and that's what I'm saying. I was very impressed. I don't think then, they last long. No, I don't think so either. That's why I was very impressed. They're like, yeah, Luke, you can find these things just laying around. I used and to have a whole windowsill full of shed antlers, shed horns. I wonder if like the coyotes and whatnot come and chew them up because they're similar to to uh, like sheep and water buffalo uh, horn sheds that are dog dog chews. Oh, I didn't know that was such a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they don't last like an antler. Yeah, like the structure is not that strong. They rot away quick. But I found a bunch of them. I bet I'll find one this weekend hunting with my kids. That's cool. I've I've never found one. You don't look at the ground very much. We'll let you know. You being a rock hound, I think much. he looks at the ground too much. Too much. <laughs> being a rock hound, I think he. Yeah, but you're too fixed on rock. You don't notice. <laughs> you don't notice horn. Mm-hmm. You gotta look for something that looks like wood. That's right. Here's one for you, Seth. Yep. What's easier, bow hunting or flintlock hunting? Um, I well, Rick can chime in on this. <sighs> I want to hear from both of you. That's that's. So if you were to approach both the same way. Like bow hunting, you'd sit in a tree stand, right, or on the ground, but in a, in a in one spot. If you're bow hunting whitetails, yeah. yeah, sure. So if I was to take my bow hunting setup and add a flintlock to it, not a bow, I would say bow hunting because I know my bow is going to go off, what even about, if it's raining. Mm-hmm. What about a traditional bow? Why would it not say, go off in the rain? Say, <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm saying like a tra- there's a difference between a traditional bow and a compound. Yeah. Like I know what you mean. I would say a, a muzzleloader is easier, and you can be more accurate with a muzzleloader, a flintlock muzzleloader, than a trad bow. I think it's like effective range versus. Yeah. Um, but I, I think if I'm sitting in a tree stand, and if I have 
uh, flintlock or uh, a bow, I feel like the bow is going to be more reliable, you know, on average. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, easier to to get a shot off. Just like you said, you know what's going to go. But yeah, but if I'm running around doing drives and stuff, I don't know, I think the flintlock's just an easier thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. What do you I, think, Rick? I'd agree on that. Yeah. I think, uh, it, although I'm curious, like if we hunted in a much drier climate, would we have a little bit different, uh, you know, that's true. you know, that, that's a factor humidity. Uh, and obviously we saw that on that hunt, but I, I think like Seth said, the type of hunting kind of comes into it, but I'd, yeah, I'd say accuracy range of the weapon and it's pretty awesome with the, the muzzle loader versus a bow. But then, the uh, is it going to go off, especially in any kind of damp or more humid climate? So I don't know really what you'd say is harder or easier. It's kind of situation uh, dictates. It depends. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. That's your answer. The yeah. official answer. Yeah. yeah. Guy wrote in, "Why don't you use blood tracking dogs to trail wounded animals when you hunt in your episodes?" Uh, it's just a matter of availability. Yeah, I don't know if we've had, but I can't think of any situations where. I don't really know. I can't think of any situations where. Wouldn't legality also come in? Because some states are still. I think most of them are on board. Now, most of them are yeah, on board there is, now. There is a question yeah. of legality. Uh, we used a blood tracking dog in between shoots last fall on a deer hunt. Remember around Michigan? Yep, I do. Yeah. And the other day I had a friend. Um, the other day I had a friend hit a buck and he felt like he got it. He felt like he got it good. But it wasn't bleeding good. But he still, just by looking at the arrow, he felt like that has to be a dead deer. But he couldn't find it because it went into a cornfield, mm-hmm. a thick cornfield. And there was not enough blood. And so he's like, yeah, just looked and looked and looked. Um, and he asked me if I knew anybody that had a tracking dog. And we are trying to get hold of Yanni because Yanni's kind of more tied into that. But I called a friend of mine who's got lion hounds. And he said, they're not blood trailing dogs per se, but my God, do they find dead and dying stuff. Like they can't help themselves. Yeah. So I said, well, how do you know when they find these? So I'll put GPS collars on them and turn them loose. And if there's something dead out there, they're going to know about it. And so he goes out there with my friend and my friend goes around the other side of the cornfield in case this thing comes busting out. He said he hadn't even gotten finished walking around the cornfield and phone rings. Found the deer. <laughs> he said those dogs just they're like they just are on it. So he sees all the dogs, you know, all the dogs, they come together and quit moving. He's like, there's something holding their attention. He goes over and it's the deer. That's cool. Yeah. Seth's basically like a bloodhound. Oh, he's good at spotting blood. Mm-hmm. I used to be my eyes went bad. Blood track has gotten hard. I like blood track. <laughs> Seth's good at spotting blood. He's got little yeah. Little blood spotters. <laughs> Here's one for you, Clay. On the mule-based episode, so we did an episode of hunting squirrels off mules. Do the cinematographers, that's a generous term, do the cinematographers. <laughs> <laughs> we call them camera dudes. <laughs> but no, no, that, that's, I'm joking. Do the cinematographers and crew have to hoof it the whole time, or do they also get mules? This is a real point of contention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't get mules. I've been on shoots where they have mules. It's hard. It's hard to be up and down. It's hard to shoot off a mule. It's hard on... When we did that hunt in Wyoming, that horseback hunt in Wyoming, that that kind of stuff's just hard on 
equipment because horses or mules are always running you into brush and stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't kind of you can't control it. But no, we usually don't. For long pushes, everybody will have a horse. Yeah, but it's hard to do your work on the horse. Yeah, and people almost get where they'd rather just run. Yeah, because it's hard to film, right? And the, I mean, we may we may not be sitting on mules or horses, but we we do offload some of our gear onto the horses mm-hmm. that make us a little lighter, for, more fleet of foot for getting around. Yep. Yeah. I know I said that was for you, Clay, but it wound up not being for you. Sure. I yeah. guess Clay's <laughs> part of it is it's Clay's fault for not yeah. having mules for everyone. You need to get more mules, Clay. Man. Hey, post COVID, it's it's a hard market, hard market for mules. Everybody thinks they're a mule skinner all of a sudden. Well, it just you just they they've doubled or tripled in price. Huh? So Have you ever thought hard, about breeding mules, Clay? Or, Clay, like not breeding you know, mules because you can't, but like trying to make mules. You know, if I had a bigger place, I, I probably would try to have some mare horses and raise a mule, but. But uh, you just need a lot of ground, you know. Yeah, need a lot of ground. Hey, the cam- talking about cameramen walking though, you know, they did a lot of walking on our squirrel hunt and on other mule hunts we've done. Steve, I mean, you know, I remember that first day when the first day we shot for the squirrel hunt, um, Tyler's whatever kind of device he was using to track his, track himself, you know, he, he felt like we went 11 miles that afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a, that's a lot of walking for the camera dudes. And, and we did more than that the next few days. No, a good know? way to think about a camera guy is imagine yourself out hunting birds with a dog. You walk a mile, the dog walks five miles or more, yeah. all the zigzagging more. around. Yeah, camera guys get some miles on. That that shoot was tough because we would then go coon hunting that night. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty happy with the Can-Am that I got to drive around in. You are feeling good in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do I find traveling on muleback? I quite, I quite enjoy it, man. I like it. Um, yeah. I don't know that I, I, I – I'm not like a, a sophisticated enough of a horseman, a muleman – to have like strong opinions about mules versus horses, but I can say that I have no desire to travel fast on horseback. Like I have no interest in galloping. <laughs> so I don't need an animal capable of galloping because this is not my thing to gallop around, to gallop through the mountains. We would we witnessed mm-hmm. you come off a mule a couple times on that. Twice, on that yeah. episode. Oh yeah, I fall off those things, but I'm like a cat, man. <laughs> I, hey, I was I gotta say I land on my feet, dude. I wasn't gonna bring it up unless somebody brought it up. I, I was I was impressed with you, Steve, uh, that you weren't afraid of the mules. Mm. And 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 I have seen the three guys that I've put on mules in the this year, Giannis being one, you being one, and then uh, my buddy Dave Gardner and I'll I'll tell on him, have had the same, have actually, getting on the mule with heavy packs, have fallen over the top of them and landed on the ground. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's, yeah, they're, they're tricky, man. They're tricky sometimes just to get your balance. And then you got pulled off by a wall of briars one time. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it really wasn't. You just got raked off and the mule just went through, but no. 
Yeah, and the second time your mule was trying to hop onto a road. Yeah. And it like jumped a ditch and kind of sent you flying. Slipped on the ice. Yeah. Hey, oh, Michael yeah. Lanier. The Lone Ranger wouldn't have been able to hang on for that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Michael, Michael Lanier, who's a veteran horse and mule rider, bit the dirt. And I've never seen him bite the dirt. Hey, that was treacherous conditions for riding mules, man. Yeah, um, I had, I think, three crashes. I got drug off by Briars. <laughs> The horse fell on the ice, and I just stepped off it because it was laying on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got kind of like thrown off, I guess. Yeah. And then Michael Lanier, his big mule, was trying to sidestep a frozen... What, what happened is we were walking down these old roads that were covered in snow, but there were big mud holes underneath the snow. They're frozen. So it, look, it looked like just like perfect flat dirt road and then the mules got on it and they were standing on sheets of ice so they started getting super spooky and uh anyway Lanier's mule sidestepped uh, what he thought was a mud hole and then jumped and Michael just came sailing off and landed on his back yeah it was treacherous man it really was uh you know it's funny the other day we were hunting mountain goats one of our colleagues had a mountain goat tag and we were out hunting mountain goats and we were going down this trail and there was a tree falling over in the trail. And you could see where guys have been in there hunting on horseback. And you could see on the the on the trailhead side of this tree that they had gotten into a terrible ruckus with their <laughs> livestock about jumping that tree. Because the ground, <laughs> the size of this studio we're in, the ground was just ripped up. Hoof prints tore to hell where you could say that no, they could not get those things to jump that tree. And in there is a, a SIG magazine full of nine millimeter shells. Oh, uh. and it perfect fit for Garrett's pistol. Oh, nice. Yeah. So some guy got into a big blow up, lost his pistol, lost the magazine out of his pistol. So if you're looking for your magazine, yeah, get oh, it. Haven't seen it. Yeah. Haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one guy said for high mountain goat episode, on average, how long are you sitting in glassing? Anywhere from like a real glassing sesh could be at a minimum, like a legitimate glass in session could be at a minute, 30 minutes, or it could be eight hours. Probably. We're hunting coos deer. We'll sometimes spend the whole day, sunrise to sunset. Yeah. And just one or two spots. Just watching. Well, yeah, it was tricky too because there was snow. If there's no snow, it's a, yeah, that changes things. You can cover some more ground quicker. Yeah. Cause with your glass. When, cause mountain goats are white. So if there's no snow, you can burn through a lot of ground. But when there's snow, you got to slow down. You're more looking for their tracks. You wind up looking for tracks in the snow. Then you follow the tracks until you find the track stop. And then looking, there's something standing there. It's very hard to find them in the snow. They're a little different. They're a little different colored than the snow. They're a little more pissy colored. But hard to find in the snow. Changes everything. Hunting doll sheep in the snow is tricky. Yeah. You got to look. Did a lot of looking for tracks on. Yep, then you look for tracks and follow the tracks and try to see what's going on. (laughs) 
Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay. It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home... Well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying? I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater. Make sure you use code MeatEater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. All right, so Corinne, you got one last question? Yeah. Um, I wanted to know what other states have a muzzleloader season and then, uh, you know, that whole the whole deer drive situation seemed very complicated with a lot of room for things to go wrong. So just kind of curious about the the thought behind you know, planning that and going into it. 
Who wants to start? Oh, well, no. I, yeah. I know Montana this year has a. Uh, it's not like a flintlock season per se, but it's yeah. a like a primitive mm-hmm. muzzleloader, like a late primitive muzzleloader season, yeah. which you can use flintlocks, matchlocks, percussion, uh, percussion cap. If someone's yeah. out there with a matchlock, I give them all the credit. You can harm You can use a regular old Joe Blow muzzleloader. Well, no, like the per- like the like percussion, a percussion actual cap, like a cap percussion, yeah. percussion yeah. style, not. No modern inline style. Gotcha. What yeah. does percussion gotcha. style mean? Um, is... So how in the episode, as you saw, there was Flint striking a yep. frizzin and yep. it starts that powder. Mm-hmm. There is almost like a primer. Think of it as like a cap that's uh-huh. like a primer and a centerfire cartridge. You slip that on a nipple that is a, essentially a tube that goes down into where the main charge is. And there's a, the hammer is cupped. And when it hits, it strikes that uh, um, cap. Uh, with a lot of force and does the same chemical reaction, spits oh, that ignition okay. down okay. through that tube. But it's a slightly that, different mechanism. Yeah, it's more okay. reliable. Oh, so, okay. yeah, okay. that was like the progression. Okay. You had flintlocks and then uh, technology, you had uh, percussion style. Okay, yep. got it. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, th- uh, most states, to answer your question, Corinne, have a muzzleloader season, but it's just that Pennsylvania is unique and they're the only one that, by law, flintlock is the. Newest technology you can use. It has to be a flintlock ignition. It cannot be percussion, which they changed it now. And they were pioneers, too. Yeah. Like they got going on it before yeah, anybody before, else did. Yeah. So I think they changed it now, though. Can you use a percussion, Seth? Or in the early season, you can use a percussion. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's like an early, early October there's season. There's an early muzzleloader yeah. season where you can use um, inlines and yeah. stuff. But, but uh, back to your second part of the question, deer drives are uh, – there's a lot that goes into it. It's culturally, it's, it's pretty neat, and it's an aspect of hunting that's not talked about a lot. Um, there's definitely pros and cons, but there's a whole, I mean, that's like an hour long subject to talk about how to move deer across the landscape, especially with the number, the big factors like number of people, mm-hmm. what's the weather like? We had very crunchy snow, which affected us. And I do want to point out one thing from the episode that I feel like depending if you don't, if you're watching, you understand when you were trying to make sure all those deer didn't go down, mm-hmm. it's like, we know deer go downhill a lot in drives, but there's a private property boundary there oh, that we cannot yeah. mm-hmm. hunt on the other side. Mm-hmm. So you're also in the east, Midwest, you're trying to manipulate deer around maybe where topographically, contour-wise, they want to follow the contour or go down or anything, but you cannot because they're going to go into private. Right. So now you're trying to force a, situ- a situation that isn't kind of natural. So that's like a whole other aspect of like a good crew that knows how to do a drive Um yeah. yeah, and that in that drive when all those deer were going down, we were just low on people. Mm-hmm. Okay. We would have had more okay. people. We could have. Okay. Should we explain like what a deer drive is like for people that don't know? Do they know what we're kind of talking about right now? Take it away. Yeah, go for it, Chet. Explain, Chester. So, in a deer drive, rather than like people traditionally just sit and wait for deer to come to them, that'd just be like regular old hunting, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, a deer drive, you'll have people trying to push deer towards another group of people who are sitting there waiting on the other side of a woods or a marsh or thick cover. Everybody packs a big dip. Everybody, <laughs> everybody packs a big dip. It's usually after you just watch the Packers beat the Vikings. And um, in the Midwestern states, uh, it's a huge part of their culture. I mean... I feel like people are getting away from it, the deer drives now, but um, as much as they used to do them. But anyways, you're trying to push deer from their bedding area to guys that are sitting and waiting, or what 
pushers and watchers or s- drivers and sitters, you can call them. In South Dakota, we call them walkers and blockers. What? Which I what? didn't hear really? come up. Yeah, I didn't hear walkers that one come up. Yeah. Pushers I, and sitters. What do you guys call them? Something stupid. Chasers and walkers. That's yeah. I call them drivers. <laughs> Chasers uh, and walkers. Drivers and watchers. posters. Watchers. I do them posters because you're standing so, a post, kind of. <laughs> so. so anyways, let's say you have a 40-acre uh, woods and – You'll probably de- decide who's going to go sit and who's going to push, however you want to do that, draw cards or whatnot. But the sitters will go on one side, and they'll find little spots to sit out. And usually once they're set, the pushers will go to the other side, and then they'll start walking towards the other guys. Um, and between... Somewhere in between there, hopefully they chase up some deer and they push them over to the sitters, um, and you try and shoot them. So. It's, it's most effective when you've been doing the same push. We call it doing a push. Yeah. Dri- you're driving deer, but you do a push. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have a push that you do generationally. Because you know... Because it could be like you could have a certain you could have a farm or a chunk of woods, whatever. And it's, it seems I don't know if this is true, but it feels like you could take every deer off it and put all new deer on it and give those deer a year, and they're gonna leave that patch of woods. Yeah. Oh, the same way. Like the so big you, bucks yeah. are gonna sneak out the back. So like you'll drive the same area and be like, here's what's gonna happen. Yep. The, if the wind's the right direction, they're gonna go up that ridge, or they're gonna come right along here. Yep. Or they're gonna go just left of that maple, and like, and if you do it once a year and don't overdo it, but you save that drive and do that drive once a year, it gets to where you have great precision, yep, and how it's gonna play out, yep. yep. And then like, you're then you're like, oh, who gets who's gonna go on that? Seth, you go up to that spot. And Seth's like, no, no, Rick, you go up to that spot, and you like all that, gentlemanly. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> that first drive where Steve had the little mishap with the set trigger that. I put you up high because behind you was a shale slide and the deer generally go up and they go above that shale slide because oh, they yeah. don't like to go across it. Yeah. So like you learn how they're going to do it. Yeah. We had two main drives growing up and we just knew the first deer I killed was on that drive when I was 13. Um, and I shot it for me to fill because they'd go up the ridge. Yeah. All I could see is the just all, it, all I could see is like for me to fill is like with the white throat patch sticking up above the edge of the thing. That yeah. sounds fun. Oh, yep. great time. I feel like there are football analogies or like children's it, games yeah. analogies. Like it gets, it can get pretty serious. Your drive is You'll very have, fun, man. Yeah. It is fun. Feel of like I've been with crews where you wait, you get to the gas station more and they pick teams and you're on like. B team all day doesn't matter. So oh, huh. if B team's posting, you're posting. If your drive B team is driving, you're driving. And there's a guy who gets appointed a captain. And like, if there's a bunch of arguments about what drive to do next, doesn't matter. The captain, like, he makes the final decision about what you're doing. So we can get. It's pretty. It's an awesome culture. Maybe so, deer mediation. driving is. I'll tell you this. Deer driving is very blue collar. Yeah. Maybe mediator shouldn't be playing kickball. We should start a. Deer drive team. Deer drive team. Yeah. Yeah. You can't in this uh, in some yeah. states. You can't deer drive. Yeah, you can't. Like, yeah, you no. can't do a deer drive in the state. Yeah, oh, no, no. If you look okay, at how the, the regs are written, you can't do a deer drive. Oh. But deer drive is great. It's very blue collar. It's very scrappy. You can get um, a little western. Yeah, yeah. It's not like uh, you know, it's not like you know, sitting around. You don't do a deer drive then go have like a 
uh, you know, a glass of red wine. <laughs> you deer drive or like and drink. a fine <laughs> You do deer drives and drink bush lights. Yeah, yeah. You don't go like, oh, bourbon up a tin cup and smoke a cigar. It's like not deer drive. Uh, I got it. You might pack dip, put a little bloody mary mix into a slill beer. Swisher <laughs> sweets are common. That sounds like a great yeah. day. You can smoke yeah, a swisher yeah. on a deer drive, no problem. But. And if you want more on Flitlong coming, <laughs> Corinne, on October 5th, this guy. we publish an article written by Jordan Sillers called A Brief History of Flitlock Hunting in America, where he takes you from the 19th century to 2021. Why not the 18th century? Fantastic. Well, because the technology sort of started in the 16th century, but the golden days were the 19th century. Hmm. So that's where it he starts. He didn't even throw to the 18th century. It's, it's brief, but it, it basically starts in the 19th. Hmm. It's a good article. I'll have to read it. All right, Spencer. New installment. We're going to close out. We've been answering questions that only we know. Now it's time to answer questions that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. It's time for the trivia segment. Talk about the giveaway. Brought to you by Spencer Newhart. Oh, but here's the most important part. Now, we're going to give away a seat at the Meat Eater Podcast Studio in order to play trivia with us. So we will fly you here to World Headquarters in Bozeman. Probably check you for guns. Mm -hmm. We'll fly you <laughs> but, here to World Headquarters in Bozeman. But not weed. <laughs> not check it. We're going to get one of those dogs. That can, yeah, you keep your weed yourself. <laughs> check it, make sure you're not like a PETA infiltrator or something. Uh, to compete in a round of trivia. So we'll fly in. You can sit here in the studio with us. We're going to record a show. You can be present, and then you can participate in the trivia game. It's going to start the, the, the game. It's going to start on October 18th and end on Halloween. So between the 18th of October and Halloween, go to themeateater.com slash auction to sign up for a chance to come to Bozeman and participate in a trivia segment on this very show. All expenses paid. We're talking flights. We're talking hotel. Food. Corinne will deliver you to the room we're all sitting in right now. And you will get your own white trivia board. I don't know. Do you think Spencer should have to go to their hotel? Uh, oh. Chester yeah, should have to go to the hotel room? I was literally just going to say, and no, I will not yeah. make you. I was going to make a joke about how instead of Spencer or uh, Chester coming to you, you come to Chester. In the middle of the night. At some point in the middle of the night, Chester will come to your hotel room, make you a drink, and sing you a song. We'll give you the address to Chester's house, and you can show up there. Yeah, or, he will make or you take dinner. a drink. Or you can just show up at Chester's. And I've heard that we're probably going to have to send you home with check baggage because you're going to have so much meat eater swag when you leave. Oh, really? Ooh, the, specifics, the specifics aren't out there yet, but even if you don't want to come play trivia, if you just want to win a bunch of cool meat eater or first light or FHF or Phelps stuff, you should go enter in this giveaway. Experience the smell of this room yourself. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah, you got to participate in trivia. Come on. But uh, there's no guarantee you're going to win. You're probably going to get whooped. <laughs> Probably get whooped at trivia. All right, Spencer. This let, is, let's give them a taste of what's coming mm -hmm. when they is, come down to the studio. This is Meat Eater Trivia. It's trivia you're not going to get from Jeopardy or Trivial Pursuit or any Bars Night trivia. These are born out of the Can four I get a verticals. Oh, I got one. Never mind. These are born out of the four verticals at Meat Eater. What are they, Steve? Hunting, fishing, 
conservation, and wild foods. And there is a prize. Meat Eater will donate $100 to the conservation organization of the winner's choosing. The first time we played, Brody won with six correct answers. The second time, Steve won with four correct. This time, I'm thinking uh, it'll take another six-pack to win. So, hmm. going to need to bring your A-game. Now we Dude, have... I can't wait to run this because I'm got. i going <laughs> to run my own and you're going to play. Good. We have some housekeeping from last time. In the last episode, I asked what the term el dente refers to, and the answer was the doneness of pasta or rice. Sam Nichols and Bradley Schreckengost reached out and said that it can also apply to grits. This was made famous by the 1992 movie My Cousin Vinny when Vinny asks Mr. Tipton about his breakfast. Play the clip for us, Phil. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You testified earlier that the boys went into the store and you had just begun to make breakfast. You were just ready to eat and you heard a gunshot. That's right, I'm sorry. So obviously it takes you five minutes to make breakfast. That's right. Right, so you knew that. Uh, Do you remember what you had? Eggs and grits. Eggs and grits. I like grits too. How do you cook your grits? You like them regular creamy or al dente? (laughs) (laughs) Just regular, I guess. Regular. Instant grits? No self-respect and suddenly uses instant grits. I take pride in my grits. So thank you, Sam and Bradley, for that (laughs) info. If you said grits when I asked that question, you also would have been correct. Also, I asked what the name of the legendary fish was. Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, yeah. People were pissed about that question because they didn't feel it was, like, uh, appropriate. You were pissed about that question. Other people were pissed, too. Okay. All right. (laughs) I I saw the email. You sent me the email. People complaining about how it had nothing to do with nothing. Mm, One person. So you and one person. (laughs) Also, I asked what the name of the legendary fish was that Max and John tried to catch in Grumpier Old Men. Chester confidently answered no that Walter, which was incorrect. The correct answer was Catfish Hunter. I had Thanks about, for pointing that out. Mm-hmm, that I had incorrect. about 20 people reach out <laughs> and said Chester was thinking of Jane Fonda's 1981 movie On Golden Pond, where Billy and Norman grow obsessed with trying to catch Walter the Trout. Oh, well, Hanoi Jane. So maybe that'll make you feel better. And finally, I challenge our listeners on the last episode to figure out who the four representatives were that voted against the Endangered Species Act of 1973. Eli Favreau reached out to the Library of Congress and got us that answer. It was Robin Beard of Tennessee, H.R. Gross of Iowa, Earl Landgreby of Indiana, and Robert Price of Texas. Thank you, Eli. Those all sound like names from a long time ago. (laughs) Sounds like 1973 Not Robert. Robert, he could still be running around now. All right, and that brings us to Meat Eater Trivia. Play the music, Phil. Look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? You stand to win everything. Well done. God, Spencer's good. I feel like Spencer's going to get poached away by a real game show. (laughs) Jeopardy. Uh, real quick before we start the game, Clay, do you have something to write on? I do. Oh, wow, you're ready. ready. Cool. Awesome. Clay is the only guy on the planet that's so honest <laughs> that I trust him to play remotely. Yeah, me too. I would <laughs> never trust myself to play remotely. <laughs> I'd be like, uh huh, doing Google searches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. First question. And like the last time, two, last two times we played, this one is going to be multiple choice. The topic is public lands. What state has the southernmost glacier in America? Utah, Wyoming, 
California, or Colorado. Which state has the southernmost glacier in America? Utah, Wyoming, California, or Colorado? Oh, I feel like I got this one wrong. Dad, damn it. Hold on, Clay. Don't be showing your answers yet. Damn it. What you got, Clay? <laughs> <laughs> I have my glasses on, so I can only see up close to them. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding back till the right time here. I will prompt you in to show your answers. Does everybody have an answer? Oh, man, I'm yeah. not happy with my Reveal answer. your answers. I am seeing one person got it right. Chester. Yay. The correct Ooh. answer is California. All yes. states. Almost put it. Now, why, why is that a public lands question? Because it's on public lands. Oh. All four states mentioned have glaciers, but the southernmost in the USA is the Lilliput Glacier in California. It is about 12 acres in size and lies on the shaded north-facing vertical cliff of Mount Stewart in the Sierra Nevadas. It actually grew 5% in the 1970s to 1990s, but has been shrinking ever since. I knew I should have put that down. What elevation is it at? I, I don't know. It's one of those like, oh, I didn't know that questions. <laughs> wow! Well done, Chester. The second hey, question, did, did Chester. Chester, did you guess or did you actually know? Guessed. <laughs> it was educated. That's right. He knew yeah. the Sierra Nevadas were high and cold. So, question two: the topic is cooking. If a recipe calls for S P G, what does it want you to use? Here's an example. In the chef's notes, it may tell you to generously apply SPG to a deer steak before grilling or to a fish fillet before battering. SPG. The example, again, is in the chef's notes, it may tell you to generously apply this to a deer steak before grilling or to a fish fillet before battering. A lot of people writing down their answers fast. Chester, do you have an answer? No. Everyone reveal your answers. Anyway, we have Steve says salt, pepper, and garlic. Oh. Corinne says salt, <laughs> pepper, and grease. <laughs> Clay says salt, pepper, and garlic. Grace Phil salt, pepper, does not grease. have an answer. <laughs> A creative answer by Rick is salt, pepper, ground, and then... Pepper, comma, ground. <laughs> Seth couldn't come up with a G. He said salt, pepper, question mark. The correct answer. I didn't have the G either. The correct answer is salt, pepper, and granulated garlic or garlic powder. Oh. Dude, come on. No, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. Oh. <laughs> Man. My goodness. So we had Steve get it correct. We had Clay get it correct. And right. Is that it? Suck on that, Chester. I'm very, very very proud of that right answer. This acronym is especially common and divisive in the barbecuing world, where it's a popular rub for ribeyes, filet mignon, brisket, tenderloin, chicken breast, chicken wings, pork chops, and more. Some swear by a ratio of one part salt, two parts pepper, and one part garlic, Hmm. while others think the correct ratio is one part of each, and a third camp swears by four parts salt, Two parts pepper and one part garlic. Oh, now, no. if you, that's no nasty. way. No, if you no. want to make Ugh. this easy on yourself, our friends at Spiceology actually sell an SPG rub that they say is their most versatile blend you can find. 
Good job. SPG. Guys, guys, going to get a call from a real game show. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. You have, do you have a contract with us or supporting <laughs> Just appointment We agreement. can talk later. Why yeah. don't we start a game show? It's just show. a handshake agreement with Spencer <laughs> and Mediator. The third question, the topic is waterfowl. Now, this next question comes to us via Samuel Saucier. If you have a question that you think is right for Mediator Trivia, you can send it to trivia God, at themediator.com. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> Keep thinking I'm like at a different thing. <laughs> the I question. Like I feel like I'm at like some show. <laughs> Couldn't be this podcast. <laughs> the question, again, via Samuel, is what was the most harvested duck in America in 2020? What was the most harvested duck in America in 2020? I think this might be one of those, oh, I didn't know that mm. questions. I don't know. <laughs> Again, if you have a great question like Samuel, send it to trivia at themeateater.com. Most harvested duck. Does everyone have an answer? I'm going out on a limb. Reveal your answers. Steve says coot. Chester says greenheads. Corinne says mallard. Clay says mallard. Phil says mallard. Uh, Rick says mallard. And Seth says green wing teal. Seth is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is mallard. Ooh, green, I mean, I, I knew it. Green head mallard. I'll, I will give it to you. <laughs> this stat. You can't write <laughs> green heads. That's now. what people call them. <laughs> Males. <laughs> this, I will give it to you. This stat is from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. There were 2.9 million mallards killed in 2020, followed by the green wing teal at 1.2 million. Not a stupid answer, Seth. Yeah, suck it, Steve. <laughs> Gadwall, Gadwall at 1 million, wood ducks at 900,000, and blue wing teal at 800,000. Here's why I put coot down, because you're allowed to get like 25 coots. Hmm. That's kind of a stupid answer. Your answer it was, was stupid. Yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> stupid. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In a lot of trivia, people focus on, like like I said, it's a type of question that inspires the response. You're like, oh, I didn't know that. Of course it's mallards. But I put down coots thinking it was like a surprise question. I get it. <laughs> I thought it was a surprise, too. I get it. Last time, I was doing the same thing. I, I was... put green wing teal because, like, the southern states are pounding teal for months before the our season's coming. Yeah, you were close. That was a thoughtful answer, though. Yeah. Thanks again, Samuel, for the question. The fourth question, the topic is fishing. Legendary angler Bill Dance is famous for wearing the same orange and white cap with an uppercase T on it for the last 50 years. <laughs> what does the T stand for? Legendary angler Bill Dance. You've probably seen his bloopers. Maybe you've seen him bass fishing. You've probably seen his show. I think it was like Bill Dance, Saltwater Adventures. Uh, dude's been around forever is famous for wearing the same orange and white cap with an uppercase T on it for the last 50 years. What does that T stand for? Does everyone have an answer? It's not right. Reveal your answers. We have Steve saying titillating. <laughs> we have Chester saying Texas no. football team. Corinne saying <laughs> nothing. We have uh, Clay saying Tennessee. Phil saying tight lines. <laughs> Rick saying University of Tennessee and Seth saying Tennessee State College. The correct answer is the University of Tennessee. Oh, oh, yeah. What's that, Clay? Yeah, I mean, that that was given when I said Tennessee, University of Tennessee. That's right. I, I will give it to you. 
Bill helped the college recruit a high-profile football player who was a big fan of fishing in the 1960s. As a thanks, Tennessee's coach sent Bill a few hats. Bill then wore one during a big tournament later that year, which he won. From that point forward, it became his lucky charm and part of his identity. Now, there were some context clues there, like the orange and white, oh, yeah. uppercase. Oh, is there even a Tennessee State College? No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but I feel like you made that up. It's got to be maybe. somewhere. You got too specific. <laughs> you should have just left it at Tennessee. Somewhere in Tennessee. Yeah. Dang it. I knew, yeah, I knew going into it was going to be a 50 50. Question. Tennessee or Tennessee State. Question five. After this question, we will get a score update from Phil. The topic is gear. Some of the most popular binocular sizes among hunters are 8x42s, 10x42s, and 12x50s. In optics lingo, what does the first number represent? 8x42s, 10x42s, and 12x50s. What does the first number represent? Kind of a gimme there, huh? I feel like I had to help out the room after last time. <laughs> last time was kind of a bloodbath. So, does everybody have an answer? Chester is still writing. You will reveal your answers in three, two, one. We have Steve saying magnification. Chester saying how far you can see. Corinne saying <laughs> magnification. Clay saying. I can't read his handwriting. I, I think I got it wrong. What do you got? I had magnification power crafted out and wrote diameter of lens. We have Phil saying thickness of glass in millimeters. <laughs> we have Rick saying magnification, and we have Seth saying magnification. The correct answer is magnification. So does how oh, far God. you can see count? Because I no. was spacing out. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second number refers to the objective lens size or aperture, which is measured in millimeters. The bigger the number, the wider the lenses and brighter the image. Phil, hit us with a score update. Oh, I got I to gotta update this one. Give me a second here. So Steve got it. Corinne got it. Rick got it. Everyone but Clay and Chester. Dang. Jeez, that's correct. <laughs> we don't we don't use a lot of binos in Arkansas. You can only see like fifty yards. It's just the eight by forty twos for them boys. All right, Stephen Ranella has two points. Chester, the divester, has one. Corinne, the producer, has two. I got two. He has two. He's got two. He got... Oh, oh, I didn't cut his last one. I'm gonna edit this out to make me sound smart. <laughs> he uh, had Californian greenheads. Chester has two. Corinne has two. Rick Hutton has three, Seth has one, Clay has three, and I have one, putting Clay and Rick tied for first. All right. What if no one counts how many coots get killed? (laughs) (laughs) I would be confident that they do because they have a bag limit for them. And when you take your survey, they ask you that that one. We are halfway through the trivia. The sixth question is public lands. Steve ain't going to like this one either. I already know it. Because it's like dubiously tied to public lands? Yes. Okay. (laughs) In the year 2000, the International Hydrographic Bureau voted to add a fifth ocean. What is this ocean's name? Oh, Jesus. In the year 2000, the International Hydrographic Bureau voted to add a fifth ocean. What is the ocean's name? And I would be very curious, if you're listening to this and you got kids in like elementary school or middle school, if they have an updated textbook, like if it has this in there or not, I would love to know the answer. Because um, I'm very curious. What is the fifth ocean's name? What the room you, looks very stumped. What year did you say again? The year 2000. Oh, wow. 
Jeez, man. Can I say where it is? I will not accept that answer. This is the least confident the room has looked yet. Does everyone who is going to create an answer I, have an answer? No. Yes. Yeah. Corinne is still writing. I will have you reveal your answers now. We have Steve saying Antarctic. We have Chester with nothing. We have Corinne saying nothing. We have Clay <laughs> saying Southern. We have Phil saying Antarctic. We have uh, <laughs> Rick saying Great Lakes. And Seth with no answer. The correct answer is Southern or Antarctic. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, most of the room came through. No. The, listen, that happens to be my favorite ocean. cannot live under public lands. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree with Steve. That You threw me off with public lands. I'm like, it has it's to be with land. the U.S. It's not even like, land, dude. But look, it's highly confident. educational. Yeah, yeah. Gotta, should have put it under some, public waters. You got to have something for the folks who aren't hardcore hunters and anglers. We'll just call it geography. Now, yeah. Thanks, hey, Spencer. Now, did you say it, it could be accepted as the Antarctic Ocean? Correct. I'm just yes. trying to tally yep. my, my lead here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, You're winning. The IHO asked this question to a survey of its 68 member nations. Only 28 nations responded, all of which voted in favor of adding a fifth ocean except for Argentina. Now, this is where it gets messy and why 21 Instead years of like later, saying South Pacific and North Pacific and stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. Now, now, this is why... This is where it gets messy and why 21 years later, the IHO is still in limbo of officially recognizing a fifth ocean. 18 votes were cast to call it the Southern Ocean, while 10 votes were cast to call it the Antarctic Ocean. Even more controversial, the nations couldn't decide on if it should start at the 60th parallel south, 50th parallel south, or 35th parallel south. Regardless, organizations like Merriam-Webster, the CIA World Factbook, Encyclopedia Britannica, and National Geographic Society all now recognize a fifth ocean as the Southern Ocean or Antarctic Ocean. You hate it? Oh, no, I like the, the great, phenomenal question. Stupid category. <laughs> That's all. All right. The seventh question is cooking. What is the unit of measurement that indicates how spicy a pepper is? What is the unit of measurement that indicates how spicy a pepper is? No multiple choice? No. No. No, no, like when you look at a menu, how many peppers they have lined up next to the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a Buffalo Wild Wings uh, menu. <laughs> but you do see this term yeah. thrown around in grocery stores. Mm. Everyone have an answer? Yeah. Nope. I'm not going to have one. Reveal so. your answers. We have Steve saying, uh, what, what is your the word? Capskin, the capsicum scale. We have Chester saying Scoville. We have Corinne without an answer. Okay, I changed uh, mine to Scoville. We have. Uh, <laughs> Scoville's a measure of, we, I, I screw up because it's a measurement <laughs> of capsicum. We, we have <laughs> Phil saying Scoville. We have, uh, we have Rick saying tears, and then Clay and Seth do not have an answer. The correct answer is Scoville heat unit. Oh. Well done, the folks who got it right. <laughs> this scale is named after its creator, American pharmacist Wilbur Scoville, who invented the scale in 1912. For reference, a bell pepper is zero, a jalapeno is 5,000, a habanero is 200,000, and a Carolina Reaper is 2 million. God, he needs to do like a, 
you know when when remember when you used to go to Mexico and things cost like eighty thousand pesos <laughs> and then it just acts a bunch of zeros off. Mm-hmm. So yeah. all of a sudden it was like eight pesos. Then you did, you know. Keep it between one and ten. Yeah, it's like <laughs> two hundred thousand. I knew that. Yeah, I screwed that up. Question eight: The topic is conservation. There are nine species of sturgeon native to North America. Name two of them. Nine species of sturgeon native to North America. I need you to name two of them. I originally had it as three, but. I think this room, we're going to go with two, so we get some folks getting some right answers. <laughs> Steve had a confident answer. I'm seeing a lot of erasing. Corinne is Googling something. <laughs> yeah, what the hell are you doing, Corinne? I already gave up on this question. Oh. Rick is also erasing. I'm not erasing my answer. Oh, you're just, are you just going for I'm bonus cleaning, points? No, I'm cleaning my board okay. up. Go for bonus points, Steve. See how many you think you can get. I'm not going to give you bonus points. Does everybody have an answer who's going to make an answer? Go ahead and reveal your answers. We have Steve saying white, no, lake, right pallid, and shovel nose. We have Chester saying pallid, white. And then we have Phil and Corinne without answers, Clay without an answer. We have Rick saying northern and white. And then we have Seth saying shovel nose and white. The nine species are Atlantic, Gulf, Short Nose, Lake, Shovel Nose, Pallid, Alabama, Green, and White. So most everyone who answered did get it. I don't think Rick got it. No, I did not. Yeah. Seth, Chester, and Steve all got that one correct. Although many of these species are considered threatened or endangered at state and federal levels, the rarest of the nine is the Alabama sturgeon. They are so rare, in fact, that one hasn't been caught since 2007. The only way biologists even know that they exist is through the environmental DNA tracking. This is where water samples are taken and scanned for a targeted DNA sequence. In a 2015 study on the Alabama River, 17 of 100 samples taken tested positive for Alabama sturgeon DNA, giving biologists proof that there are at least a few still around. Wow. That's cool. That's unbelievable. They did it similar in uh, 2014. They only had like three of 50. No kidding. Yeah. And they're picking up, I guess, like the slime. Or yeah. Like it's feces. really interesting, man. Yeah. Do you know that they just uh, scrubbed a bunch of stuff from the Endangered Species Act yeah. for being extinct? Like mm-hmm. they finally took the ivory build, the, the ivory build woodpecker. Even though reports still come in every year, yeah, birders claiming they see them. Pileated or however you want to mm-hmm. pileated, pileated. Give us a score update, Phil. We have two questions left. It's a barn burner. We have Steve, Chester, and Clay tied up in first place with four. Rick and myself have three, and Seth and Corinne have two. All right. The ninth question. The topic is Upland. This next question comes to us via Jeff Prendergast. If you have a question you think is right for Meat Eater Trivia, send it to trivia at themeateater.com. There are four states where you can legally hunt the state bird. Name one of them. Now, I need to put a qualifier on this. Some states have a state bird and a state game bird. I will not accept your answer if it's a state where you can hunt the state game bird. Here's an example. Massachusetts state bird is the black-capped chickadee, which you cannot hunt. But they have also designated a state game bird, which is the eastern turkey. That is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a state where you can hunt the state bird. And there are four of them. Oh. 
There's only four states. Only four states. Jeff sent this in, and I fact-checked him. This is a phenomenal question. Great question. I don't think, I don't know that I have it right. I have low confidence. Whew. It's one of those one. it's one of those questions that you feel like you should know. Mm-hmm. And so it's painful to not know. All right, go ahead and reveal your answers. We have Steve saying South Dakota. Chester saying South Dakota. Corinne oh. saying Virginia. Clay saying South Dakota. Phil saying South Dakota. Oh, Rick don't. saying Pennsylvania. I, and I, Seth's doing the old shotgun Seth, you approach. Gotta, you gotta, he puts I, a whole I, bunch of states down. in there. I, I thought and, you, and you we meant have, list four of them. And we have Seth all saying four. Pennsylvania. The four states are, which this room did very well, Alaska, California, Pennsylvania, and South Dakota. Of course it's South Dakota. Oh. The Alaska state bird mm. is the willow ptarmigan. The California state bird is the California quail. The Pennsylvania state bird is the ruffed grouse. And the South Dakota state bird is the ring-necked pheasant. Little little Man. advice for you there. Mm-hmm. If I was doing this. Okay. I would have a way to build in that you get bonus points for having more of them on there. Like when I had that shit about sturgeons where I had a bunch of extras. But what if you have those wrong? Then what? Take it away? Just named all 50 states. That's a good question. Yeah. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't know what to do if you got it wrong. I feel like I had two you're right th- and two you're wrong. Throw, you're throwing down hard. <laughs> they, yeah, you're throwing down hard. Gambling. If you put them down and you're wrong, wrong, you're wrong, wrong. Mm-hmm. But if I, but but if you if you do it, it should be good on you. But yeah, you can't back out. You we'll can't keep, keeping this simple. All right. All right. Do we do we have a chance for a, a tie? What's the score again? Uh, so everyone got that except Corinne. So Steve, Seth, and Clay. Or no, sorry, Steve. Steve Chester and Clay are tied for first with five, and wow. Rick and I have wow. four. All right. The last question. a lot question. riding on this last question. And I need everyone to pay very close attention. Oh. Every detail matters in this question. Mm. Uh-oh. Are we ready? <laughs> Chester mm. and Seth are pitching jigs for walleye on the autumn equinox. Their boat. <laughs> oh, back up. <laughs> if a train going this way is going I like where this is going. Where we're going. Yeah, they're pitching jigs on the autumn equinox. <laughs> Chester. Which I think they might have been. It's we, like September twenty second. Were you boys walleye fishing September twenty second? What, what day was that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. The question again. Pay attention. Pay attention. You might, it might even be helpful to write stuff down while we're going through this. This is very much like the train traveling. What from I liked Chicago. about I was hunting on the autumn equinox. What I liked about it is when you look at shooting hours. Uh huh. Shooting hours, like sunrise, sunset. I don't know what the hell it was. 721 and 721. Very or something clean. Like that. Oh, no. Yeah. Clean. You guys were fishing with Luke Combs on the 22nd. But we did walleye fish with Luke Combs the day after. <laughs> All right. Chester and Seth are pitching jigs for walleye on the autumn equinox. Their boat is headed directly towards the setting sun. Chester gets mad at Seth because Seth keeps crossing Chester's line. So Chester exclaims, damn it, Seth, cast your line out the starboard side of the boat. To what direction should Seth cast? Hold on, say it again. Oh, yeah, all right. Like, repeat. like north, south, east, west direction? Cardinal direction? Correct. Okay. Chester and Seth are pitching jigs for walleye on the autumn equinox. What time? Their boat is headed directly towards the setting sun. Chester gets mad at Seth because Seth keeps crossing Chester's line. So Chester exclaims, damn it, Seth, cast your line out the starboard side of the boat. To what direction should Seth cast? Autumn equinox, they're heading 
directly towards the setting sun. They couldn't be pointed straighter at the setting sun. And Chester gets mad, and he tells Seth... To cast out the starboard cast side? Cast out the starboard side. To what direction should Seth cast? Does everybody have an answer? Oh, yeah. I'm wrong. Go ahead Damn. and reveal your this answers. Is, I'm wrong. Steve um, says north. It. Chester says south. Corinne says north. Clay says north. Phil says north. Rick says south. And Seth says north. The correct answer is north. There are only two <laughs> days a year where the sun actually sets exactly due west. The spring equinox mm. and fall equinox. The front of the boat is the bow or forward. The right side of the boat is starboard. The back of the boat is the stern. And the left side of the boat is the port. The easy way that I was taught to remember this while working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is that port has four letters and left has four letters. Oh. Mm. Oh, I was just... Oh. That was... I like that one, Spencer. That was a great one. Dude. That was smart. a good one. Makes very you think good. a lot. Thank you. But yeah. people really driving down the road <laughs> might have a pain in the ass that they can't make a little skatcharooski. That's right. Yeah, so I'm going to need to pull up uh, yeah. a tiebreaker, right? I had a it's, nice uh, little sketch here. Yeah, you need a tiebreaker. Yeah, showdown of the century. We got Stephen Clay. Oh, it's down All to right. me and Clay? Yeah. All right. Mm. Do you already have a tiebreaker written up? I do. And as a reminder, the first time we played, we went into a tiebreaker. The tiebreaker question will be numerical. So whoever is closest or right on the nuts, if you got it, will be declared the winner and get to choose where the $100 is donated. You can all play along, but the Man. only answers that matter are from Steve and Clay. Are you ready? Mm. And Clay, remember, isn't being supervised right now. <laughs> <laughs> I he don't have an hands. entire research library at his fingertips. <laughs> hands in the door. Kids, be ready. He's got a whole <laughs> pack of like his kids there, <laughs> like working. They're on computers. They got mm -hmm. encyclopedias out and stuff. That's right. So here we go for all the marbles. What is the average salary of a game warden in 2018? Oh. Y'all can play along, but Clay and Steve are the only ones. Who are going for the win? So this is going to be the closest, closest to closest the person. correct answer will be declared the winner. Again, the question Got is: it. In 2018, what was the average oh, salary for? Oh, that's going to change your answer. Pre pre COVID, <laughs> pre COVID. In 2018, what was the average salary? And there's no like going. It's like closest, closest, just closest. These are not prices right rules. Okay. Prices right is so pretentious. I with bet their Rick going is over. the closest. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Well, Rick, it doesn't matter what Rick thinks. Yeah, no. I see Clay doing math. He's like figuring out. He's like, well, here's what they make in Arkansas. No, he's typing stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now he's explaining yeah. to the kids. <laughs> Clay, do you have an answer? I do. Okay. Go ahead and reveal your answers. We have Steve saying forty thousand, and we have Clay saying. 48,000 no, plus benefits. What do you have? Oh, 48,000. 48, I'll tell you the other answers in the room. We have Chester saying 40,000, Rick saying 42,000, and Seth saying 43,000. You guys are yeah. all like in the ballpark. The correct answer is 55,000. <laughs> Making Clay Newcomb Way to go, kids. the winner. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> All right, oh, man. Target. Good work, Clay. The wow. lowest. Look what I wrote. Look what I wrote. 48. Whoa. <laughs> oh, I wrote wow. 48 oh, and my. scratched it out. The lowest. Hey, do, you know, do you know what? I, okay, I'll tell you how I got that answer. I remember one time I was interviewing an Arkansas game and fish biologist, 
And my dad always told me not to work for the government because you wouldn't make very much money. <laughs> like li- literally, because I wanted to be a game warden at one time, and he's like, "Nah, you'd probably only make forty thousand." I referenced that to a game and fish employee who looked at me and said, "Well, we don't. We make a little more than that." And so stuck in your own noodle, yeah. Yep. The yep, state, 48. the state with the lowest average game warden salary is North Carolina, which is forty thousand. State with the That's highest. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> state with the highest average game warden salary is Illinois at eighty-eight thousand. So go mm. work in Illinois. Wow. Wow. wow! What a discrepancy, yeah. man! Because yeah. nobody wants to live in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> what a wild discrepancy! I'm sorry. Nice. I think I said the average was fifty-five. It's fifty-eight. It's fifty-eight thousand. That doesn't, doesn't change doesn't the change winner. Anything. Doesn't change. Clay the still gets to pick the the who the money goes to. That's yeah. Right. Who are you going to, Clay? Hey, hey, I'd like to give it to the Western Bear Foundation. Yeah, nice. my friend Joe Condellis out in uh, out in Wyoming, Western Bear Foundation. Nice, good guys. Yeah. Well done, Clay. Yeah, yeah. Bye, Clay. <laughs> hey, don't, don't leave me yet. Don't leave me yet. Again, you need to go enter for this giveaway that starts on October 18th to come play with the crew. Also going to win a bunch of swag. And then if you have a question that you think is good, write into trivia at themediator.com. Hey, Dad, while you're in there, uh, sniffing around, entering to win a chance to come play trivia with us, uh, you make a couple bids on the old auction house of oddities. Yeah. And it, the money will go into supporting our land access initiative where we do projects to increase and enhance your hunting and fishing opportunities. Bye. (laughs) Clay. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Hey, it's Steve here. Are you serious about hunting or self-defense? Well, starting in 1996, XS Sights took proven dot-the-eye sight pictures from firearms used on African safaris and applied that methodology to modern defensive handguns, all made in America and trusted by industry leaders. Meat Eater listeners can get an exclusive discount on the XS Sites website. So just go to xssites.com and use code MEATEATER at checkout for 25% off. XS Sites, the fastest sites in any light.